This is the Games Junk Game Club Podcast. My name is Jason Ariola, and today I've got a couple special guests from RP Gamer. Uh, first off, I've got Josh Carpenter. Hey there. And Jonathan Stringer. Hello. So guys, uh, this was, uh, what, a few months ago, we, I think, uh, I think Final Fantasy Tactics had come up on uh, the RPG cast, and you guys were both like, oh no, Tactics was way better, way better, way better, and uh, I was listening, and I was like, I want to be friends with these guys, because I feel like sometimes I'm the only person that has this opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, sort of hit you guys up on Twitter, and I was like, you know what, maybe I should do a podcast with these guys, because I've been looking forever for somebody to do a, a Tactics Over podcast with. And I'm sort of the only person on my site that has uh, any, we'll say, obsession with this game or is willing to put in the, you know, uh, what, 80 hours just to get through a very clean um, playthrough of this thing. So 80 hours is a little conservative there. Maybe 150. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm saying single, uh, single run through, uh, no, ah, no, no side things, uh, just uh, and just plow through as quick as you can. So I think I think 80 hours is probably the speed run of this game, maybe. I'm sure there's some kind of weird little uh, trick that you can get through this game even faster. So, anyway, um, you guys are over at RP Gamer. If you guys want to introduce yourselves and what you do, uh, Josh, you want to go first there? Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. I've been working at RP Gamer for like about a year now. I'm the features and editorials director, so I write editorials, do features, write reviews occasionally, that kind of fun stuff. And occasionally get uh, stuck with some rather, let's say, not great games. Yeah, that that happens sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you get someone has to review those terrible anime tie-in games. <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of funny. Like you know, just the little bit of like back, uh, like you know, backstage things I get on on your guys' site, just because I'm friends with a few of the people on the site. Like seeing how some of those reviews get passed around. Like, no, I'm not doing this one anymore. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some of those inside jokes now that I'm I'm, I'm privy to. <laughs> yeah. All right, and Jonathan, how about yourself? What do you do over at RP Gamer? Lately, I mostly just uh, contribute to the podcast, but I do occasional interviews. I've done a couple uh, previews or kind of quick looks. I've had an opportunity to do some reviews, but I'm very not disciplined enough to sit there and write a review. I, I guess I'm much better at talking. I've also uh, been a part of several backtracks. I originally got on the site to do the backtracks with them. But, you know, as some games I know and some games I don't, I I participate on those uh, when I uh, when it's relevant from my knowledge. So that's um, I'm, I'm more of a podcaster. Okay. I guess is the best way to do it. Podcaster and interviewer. I think interviewer is my official title. Cool. Um, and now as far as the, uh, in case people don't know, RPG Backtrack is basically um, RP Gamers. I don't want to say their version because <clears throat> this is more uh, my version of theirs, but the because uh, there's a couple hundred episodes of that now, I think, right? Yeah. They're coming up on 150. I can't yeah, even remember. Was it 150? Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that's basically where you guys take a deep dive on a, on a title there or even a couple titles, if I'm remembering right. Yeah. Sometimes it's a series. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think the latest one that I've listened to was the Arkwise Fantasia one, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, that one. And then the, I think there was just one guy. I can't remember the name of it. It was a uh, Saturn RPG that they just did. came out the other Dragon day. Force. Dragon That's Force. Dragon right. Force. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to that one yet. So but it's, sitting, it's sitting in the queue. So, But anyway, <laughs> I guess enough plugging everybody else's site except my own here. <laughs> so, yeah. RP Gamer doesn't need help from me. Uh, yeah. You guys are you guys are just fine on traffic versus me. So, anyway. Um, 
So we're going to be talking about Tactics Over today. Largely, um, we're going to be covering the developmental side of this, the differences between the different versions of this, in case um, you're unaware, this game came out in a multitude of systems. And as far as the walkthrough of this game goes, we're going to be focusing on the PSP version, because that's the, we'll say, definitive version of this game. Although you can, I think, make a case for the Saturn version, but we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. So... <laughs> Uh, originally, this game came out on October 6th, 1995 on the Super Famicom. Uh, we never saw the Super Nintendo version over here, so that was sort of something that just was, um, we'll say, lost on our uh, ignorant Western selves, unfortunately. And it eventually came to the Sega Saturn, December 13th, 1996. And eventually, the PlayStation 1 came out in Japan September 25th, 1997. And North America, 1998, is all I was able to dig up was just a general year. So who knows when that one actually came out. So um, both those ports were handled differently or handled by different people. Um, the Saturn version was River Hill Software, and then the PS1 version in was actually Josh. Remind me, I Arctic Arctic. That's right, and they did Tale of the Sun, which was the the first is the game I think of immediately when when they come up for some ungodly reason. See, I was a Maxis kid, mm -hmm. so for me, it's A Train. That, that was the game, the the train simulation game that they did. Way, I don't know, that would have been similar time frame, like ninety three or something like that, ninety five. Yeah, Ar Arctic does weird stuff, and and then occasionally ports of other other people's games. <laughs> I think uh, I think there's sort of a less prolific uh, Tose, basically. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they do some oddball stuff just to just to bring in the money, basically. So, And then uh, the version, like I said, we're going to be talking about mostly today is the PSP version. That came out in Japan November 11, 2010. Uh, North America, February 15th, 2011. And followed closely February 25th of 2011 in Europe. So that was the first time Europe got this game. And a couple of my friends who have been on this podcast uh, fairly regularly, they've never played the game. And I was always like, why have you not played this game? And I was like, oh, that's why it didn't come out there until 2011 so i guess i can forgive you guys for that so um next we're gonna go over uh who made this game um this is the game director and designer is yasumi matsuno who he's kind of an auteur of sorts yeah man i don't know yeah kind of he he's a less eccentric hideo kojima i would say yeah with perhaps more mental problems but yeah. you know I think it's because he dives very, very, like, headlong into a project. And I think he, like, wears himself out doing these things. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with Matsuno, he, um, I think the earliest thing he was really credited on was Conquest of the Crystal Palace, which is a uh, NES kind of B-tier platformer, which is actually pretty cool, but definitely not, like, I would something I would consider, like, a lost treasure. It's just a fun game, but it's nothing to write home about. Um, developed the, or basically developed the Ogre Battle series, Final Fantasy Tactics, Vagrant Story, Crimson Shroud, um, and worked on Mad World for the Wii. So that's, yeah. uh, that's, uh, that's, I think it was one of those pay the bills things. He's also, of course, kind of infamously worked on Final Fantasy 12 until he kind of had a nervous breakdown and they had to replace him. Yeah, I think that was about three quarters of the way through the project. He, yeah, like you said, had a nervous breakdown and just had to pull him, basically, which was, from what I've heard, like, I've never actually finished it, but you can kind of just see uh, Matsuno's hand in that game. And then from what I've heard, like, towards the end of it, it sort of not falls apart, but sort of becomes something a little bit differently as far as the plot goes. 
Yeah, from I, that that's another one I've never finished. Where, <laughs> yeah, but everything I've heard is like, yeah, the people you can tell where people are just pulling from his notes and he's not making it anymore. Yeah, which is unfortunate because when I think when you give him what he needs and the poor guy gives himself what he needs as far as rest, um, he really makes some remarkable titles. I mean, uh, the one we're talking about now. I mean, we're talking about a twenty-year, twenty-something-year-olds. You know, strategy, tactical RPG, whatever you want to call it, that even the base game, despite the uh, rock-throwing thing that we'll get at in a little bit here, has held up remarkably well <laughs> over the last 20-something years. So, um, Also tied to this is the illustrator who basically is involved with, I would say, m- more of uh, Matsuno's more notable works, uh, Akihiko Yoshida. Uh, he did the character design and illustrations for Ogre Battle, Vagrant Story, Final Fantasy XII, Bravely Default, and... Man, I, I, you, you could have put a gun in my head, and I would have never guessed this one. Uh, Near Automata or Automata, however you want to say that one. Had no clue he was involved in Near Automata. Yeah, so was the, um, the composer. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh man, I didn't even put that in there. Okay, I didn't know how. Or Hitoshi Sakamoto, right? It's Sakamoto, and there's another one. I can't think of his name. Masaharu um, Iwata. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so those, they those split two up some of it. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, and they're also in the Nier games. Uh, I believe both... Uh, wait, was it Nier Automata, or am I thinking of Valkyria? Valkyria. They did They did do Valkyria. They did Chronicles. Valkyria. Maybe I'm thinking of Valkyria. Sorry, actually, my I, bad. Actually, I think it's just Sakimoto that did, uh, that yeah. did Valkyria. Yoshida's got a very distinct style, and I think you recognize it like the instant you see it. Um, like I said, except the Nier thing. Like that. That's one like I would have never guessed had anything to do with it. So it, it's... I would say like Final Fantasy Tactics is probably the, in the like the Vagrant story. I, I'm trying to remember the Vagrant story one had um very distinct style of no nose art. It's a very cute aesthetic in a weird way, and it's sometimes a little like weird to think about all the things that happen to the, some of those characters and how adorable they look. And like oh man, that's that's, that's kind of weird juxtaposition of art versus what is going on to these poor things. So. And uh, like like we were talking about before there, Hitoshi Sakimoto and Masahara Iwata did the music, who they also worked on Conquest of the Crystal Palace. I wrote down some things they've all collaborated, or the two of them have collaborated on together. Um, Sakimoto's got a little bit longer of a resume than uh, Iwata does, but these two things, they or these are the things that the two of them collaborated on together. Um, yeah, the Crystal Palace, Ogre Battle, Final Fantasy Tactics, Vagrant Story, Radiant Silver Gun, which was a bit of a, like, huh, really? Okay, to me. Which is a, uh, huh. if you're not familiar, that is a Sega Saturn uh, shooter, which was sort of like the, um, we'll say, prototype for Ikaruga, which is another Sega Saturn Dreamcast uh, game. Oh, no, it didn't come out on Saturn. Uh, yeah, Dreamcast, GameCube, and basically now everywhere. Uh, shoot em up. Uh, worked on Ogre Battle 64, Final Fantasy 12, Valkyria Chronicles, and Crimson Shroud. Uh, Crimson Shroud definitely kind of fits with that, so. Yeah. That is a uh, very. Matsuno game and have you guys have you guys ever gotten through that one no I haven't tried it I, I, it's been sitting it's been sitting on my 3ds since it came out I was like oh Matsuno did this I'm downloading it and it's like no that sounds similar to me I, I have it I played a little bit of it and I've never gotten back to it yeah I think I did about <laughs> two battles into it so I figure uh, at the very least I, I try to buy everything Matsuno does just because I want him to keep working in the industry so I mean you know there's there's that whole uh, what it was it unsung hero? Oh, geez, unsung story. Unsung yeah, story. Starter thing. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, that that's an unfortunate thing. Um, 
it's basically like I was like, oh man, wait, he's 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 gonna be working on a new tactical RPG. I was like, oh, oh man, I want this. But fortunately, I kind of came across that a little late in the Kickstarter, and from what I remember, like it was already like not funded, but they were already gonna go go ahead and make it, and they just needed the extra money from Kickstarter, oh. and that thing sort of just died on the vine, and they're rebooting it apparently, trying to yep. do something with it. I mean, they're they're making some progress and they're changing stuff and they're listening to feedback. I actually kickstarted it, so I'm oh, the, yeah. I get the updates. Okay. Yeah, like a different company bought it, right? Yep. And yeah, and trying to finish it as best they can. Yeah. <laughs> is Monsuno <laughs> involved at all at this point with it now? He, yeah, I see. They're having trouble getting with him, and then they did get with him finally, and they have pictures. They he the main guy flew out to Japan and got with him and spent like a weekend with him. Or something like that, and they went over story notes and designs and all that, and he had some pictures with them, and they had a translator. It was pretty cool. Oh, so man. they're they're making good efforts. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to sit down with Matsuno at some point with an interpreter and just be like, "Look, um, you 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 have made a game that has uh, been very integral to everything I everything I am video game wise. I just like I love to pick his brain about it." So let's go over the noticeable differences between each version of this game. Because like I said, there's uh, four different versions of this game. Um, the Super Famicom one is the base game, of course. Um, I, I, I suppose there's really nothing to cover in particular there. Um, you know, if you're familiar with the Super Famicom and the Super Nintendo, you kind of know what it's capable of. The PlayStation version um, was localized by Atlas in North America, which makes sense. Like I said, if you look at the... Uh, Moby Games page for River Hillsoft and uh, Art Dink. Tactics Ogre seems like a strange choice for them to have worked on. Jonathan, you you said you you played the uh, PS One version when you were when you were younger too, right? Yes. Okay. And one thing you we kind of glossed over the Super Famicom version mm-hmm. that I always found was interesting was in the PS One version you can suspend and save mid game or mid battle. Uh, the Super Famicom one you could not. I don't believe. I think it did a temporary save, if I'm remembering it? right. I think it did a quick okay. save thing. So I remember I was thinking, if you're like in the hundred, the deep dungeon thing, how would you ever save? But okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Then for some reason, I thought I heard that from someone at one point. But that 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 unfortunately, um, just because of the uh, you know my complete lack of understanding of uh, Japanese, is something I will probably never yeah. find out. I, I, there is an English patch that. Uh, I believe it's like Aeon Genesis did that they just mm-hmm. sort of worked the uh, PlayStation One version into it, but I don't think I want to put um, you know eighty hours into getting to that thing just for the experimental sake. Just like the PS One for the most part. Yeah, uh, just sans load times, which yeah, it was a notable. I don't want to say feature, but notable thing that seemed to happen with the PS One version of this game. Um, it would load <laughs> a f- it would load the sound effects each time you would do it, so you would 
like pick an action and you would hear the while the ps1 loaded up the sound and then you would hear as the character died so it's or even took a swing or anything it was i i i don't remember it when i you know like thinking back as as a kid but now like i'm you know, having gone back and like watched some videos of it because I didn't really want to hook up a PlayStation One or a PlayStation Two to try it out again, but yeah, that's uh, man, I I I think it had to have been like teenage um, patience that got me through that. Yeah, it's crazy to think how much more patient we were as kids putting up with load times like that, whereas now there's no way on earth you would tolerate that in oh, a modern yeah, it's game. A, it's a killer for me going back and playing some of those. Like, oh, I can't. Like thinking about doing Final Fantasy VII again, and you can't skip through the summons. I'm like, up, oh, nope, can't do that. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna tell you, I played through the, I played through Final Fantasy VII through a game club um, eh, about a year and a half ago. And what we did was uh, the PlayStation Four version, or yeah, the PlayStation Four version. Uh, there's, I think, like a ten times speed option or something like that. Oh, that uh, that helped a lot. Um, granted, it, I, you could also like. Um, <clears throat> Make yourself invincible. Uh, limit breaks at all times. <laughs> so it definitely made the game a little bit, uh, we'll say, smoother to go through. But anyway, um, yeah, it was very strange that decision to do that because they, they redid the sound effects, and I know it was because they couldn't really emulate the uh, Super Famicom sound chip properly. So that's how they kind of got a, got around that one. But yeah, uh, it uses the same aspect ratio as the Super Famicom version, so you'd be forgiven for seeing it and getting the two of them confused. Um, oh yeah, and that was one of the notes I took down was yeah you can make permanent mid save battles or mid battle saves for it so this way if you got in the middle of something that uh, maybe got a little hairy you could always reload so where now we're gonna get onto the Saturn version here that was ported by River Hill Software who um, yeah like I said some of the stuff they've worked on uh, Overblood and I'm not really familiar with it but apparently it's a pretty big series the JB Herald Murder Club series. Hmm. Yeah, I had that game on TurboGrafx 16 CD. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. It's, it's pretty. It's very obscure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. it's like kind of like one of those crime adventure puzzle games. Kind of like um, oh, what was it? The thing that just came out. I think it's like called like Eight Bit Adventure Anthology that just came out on the PS4 and the Xbox One last year. I don't know, like Shadowgate, kind of right. Uh, I don't. Didn't think it was. I thought it was more like the silver case type games where you. But I could be wrong. I could okay. be remembering wrong. Well, you you were the only one that has a memory of this. I just learned about this the other day, so don't worry about that. Um, so a surprising bit of uh, trivia that I had completely, completely forgotten about until I fired up the uh, the Saturn version the other day to just check it out. There's voice acting in this thing. Which is crazy. Yeah. Like, that that's the only version with voice acting. Yeah, not not, not the 2011 PSP remake, <laughs> but the Sega Saturn version. Oh, God, can you guys imagine the load times on the PS1 version if they did that? Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably still be trying to get through my first playthrough. Yeah, that's the last thing that version needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything else to slow it down anymore. But, yeah, I, I mean, we're talking a game that, let me see, a port that is now... She's 22 years old. <laughs> Man. And it it has voice acting. I mean, the fact that they went through the trouble, I think really does kind of like show like how mu- like how well respected this game was even back then. Like to go through the effort to do that to a Super Famicom game 
when you're putting it on the Sega Saturn, it's like, man. So I don't know if it's like River Hill Software just had a like real good relationship with with Matsuno or just really, really adored this game and wanted to go all out for it. But that is a that is a detail that just not only isn't really necessary, but I mean, the voice acting is actually, I mean, from what I can tell, it's just more vocal inflection, but it sounds like it's actually pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, the hour and a half of that version I played. Yeah, what you can tell with it being in Japanese, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so all... awesome. I, it's a shame that it kind of got lost in terms, probably with licensing, probably got lost from being included with the PSP version. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of surprised they didn't, like, maybe try to track down people to do it still. But, I mean, maybe they just try to keep costs down on it, which, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll get into it. But, I mean, the almost from the ground up remake that game is, is kind of, mm. I'm amazed they put as much money into it as they did. Um, anyway, they, they redid, or they uh, rearranged the soundtrack, so it actually sounds a little bit, we'll say, more rich than the Super Famicom and the PlayStation 1 version. And that was something else, too. I, if I'm remembering right, like... I'm going off a YouTube video here from uh, from the PS1 version, but the soundtrack to that one sounds, or to the PlayStation 1 version, sounds a little bit, for want of a better term, a more yeah eloquent term, just sounds off compared to the Super Famicom 1. Like, it just doesn't sound quite right compared to the Super Famicom 1. Aspect ratio is 320 to 224, or by 224, um, and that gives that gives it, 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 it being a little wider it gives you a chance to see more of the battle, so it's not really something that that noticeable, especially like the PS or the PSP version, which is like really wide. But um, that one does. Oh yeah, and that was uh, yeah. There we go. Quick saves mid battle that erase when deleted. Basic and which is the same for the Super Famicom version. So, and then there's an art gallery, which is the unique thing to the Saturn version outside of the voice acting. So. Um, so up until the PSP version, I would say the Saturn version is the sort of definitive version. So if you're looking at, like, the original version of this game, I think the Saturn version is the way to go, except it's all in Japanese, so it does make it a little hard to play. And I kind of doubt there's a fan patch for a Saturn game. I mean, Saturn emulation is kind of spotty still, but, I mean, you can play Panzer Dragoon Saga on an emulator. Yeah. The only other problem, too, with... Uh, it's so hard for them to translate and hack the Saturn ISOs. Like it, it was that much work just to do Shining Force Three. So, on a game that already has a release and other similar platforms, it probably just doesn't feel the need to do it there too. Yeah, yeah, I can completely understand that. So it's uh, I don't know the Saturn's the Saturn's a weird beast, and man, I wish I wish somebody would like figure out a way to get some of those games out digitally. Because I remember like GameTap was doing some of them for a while, and then that you know they they died. So that kind of kill up the Saturn stuff there, <laughs> so. Uh, so let's move on to the PSP version, which is, I, I think, uh, as the guy, as the guys who have played the uh, PS1 version, Jonathan and I can both say that this is the definitive version of this game and is a market improvement or market improvement from the original. Oh, in many ways. Yes. <laughs> um, I hear a bug. Not, not in every way. Oh yeah. No, there, there's, a, there's a couple ways. small things. Well, obviously the graphics. Oh, no, are better. They, they they fix up some of the art. The the music and the sound is is better. You have 
the more orchestral or orchestrated orchestral whatever proper way to say it versions of the songs you have some old songs from the ogre battle game the original that were that were mixed in see that's a bit of trivia Um, i didn't know actually oh really yeah there's a few ogre battle songs in there you'll uh a couple of them that i really like and you'll get them a lot in the what's that little area in the middle of the map where you can fight a bunch of uh, oh the forest thing yeah, it's the forest. Yeah. It pops up in the forest a lot, oh, okay. I, I remember. And it was one of the Sky Island songs, I believe, from Ogre Battle. Um, and there was a couple others. So I don't know. How do you want to dig into all the differences right now? Or was yeah. that something you were, we got? Yeah, let's go okay. ahead. And, yeah, let's go this way. We can get all that stuff out of the way there. The um, wh- One thing I had completely forgotten about, um, when you attack in the uh, previous versions, um, that ends your turn. You can't move after that. That's something they did fix. In the, or I don't want to say fix, but change in the PSP version where you can attack and then move if you need to. So it added a different layer of strategy to it. I did uh, not recall that. Yeah, I didn't either. But it, yeah, I, and I was messing around with the Saturn version. I was like, oh, oh, OK, well, that sucks. <laughs> like, oh, well, screw me, I guess. I guess I guess I stuck here in the middle of this with all by myself. Cool. I've had that happen before. <laughs> <laughs> um. There, like we were just talking about with that forest area, there's these multi-stage areas in the game where you basically go from like one scenario to the next without actually backing out to the world map. Um, in the original versions, there's no health recovery in between those. And in the PSP version, they, they change that where you recover your health in between that and they give you a chance to go in and change equipment if you need to. I don't remember if they let you change equipment in the, the um, original version of the game, but... Yeah, the health recovery thing was uh, a huge thing to make this game, we'll say, more accessible. Uh, I was kind of unaware. Well, I I do remember getting to a certain point in the original version where I put myself in a fail state because I got into like a three tier dungeon or like, you know, thing on the map and just didn't have the health or levels to get any further. And boy, let me tell you that... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I forget what game it was that taught me use multiple save files uh, when given the option, but uh, that I am I am glad I did that because if I, I I think I probably would have quit playing the game if I had gotten to that point and just couldn't do anything else after that or couldn't move further and then have to restart my whole game. So uh, one other thing that um, I I I did not know this until pretty recently, but basically um, you can you can adjust the camera on the game. You can pan out a little bit more. And you can also go where it's a just straight top-down thing, so you can kind of see, like, chess pieces a little bit better. The whole reason you can do that is because, while it looks like the original sprites are in the game, they're actually, like, very basic polygonal figures. And that's why they're a lot, or that that's how they basically make it where they can rotate. Was, didn't know that. Yeah. I thought they were still sprites. That's what I thought, too, but they just basically made them out of tiny little polygons, so that's how they made it so you could adjust them like that that was the the weird little bits of trivia you'll learn when you start really digging for this game is like and how much effort that a square enix made into putting this thing out is like man i mean somebody must have had a lot of faith in this game so um in the original version your character could die or when your character died that was it they were gone forever i think you had what three counts to bring them back if i'm remembering right yes that's correct okay and this one if you still have that same three count but they can die three times or they can fall two times. And then the third time is the permanent one where they die. And I think I've never had it happen. And maybe I should have just done it for due diligence just to uh, check, 
but I think you like take their skills basically and give them to somebody. Something that effect. Uh, on the original one, they would drop. Yeah, could drop a tarot card, and so you could land on the tarot card. I remember and get a skill up, or an item. They drop an item, and then I never let a guy die in the PSP version, so I don't know. But I think you could get tarot cards from then too, couldn't you? I think so. That's what Anyways. I remember. I, you know, I wish I could say because I never let anyone die on the PSP version. <laughs> so <laughs> it was as soon as, as it was basically as soon as uh, I saw that, or as soon as somebody dropped, it was make a mad rush for for them with the resurrection item and get it back up on their on their feet. So, well, so uh, you could actually resurrect easily in the PSP one. The PS one version you couldn't resurrect for a while. Yeah, it was, it was a pain in the butt. I don't want to say like, but maybe it was like midway through the game that you got your first resurrection item. Mm-hmm. And the cleric or whatever the the, the res spell. Yeah, and the uh, and the items were ridiculously expensive if you could buy them at all. If I'm remembering right, like I swear that they were pretty. I don't limited. think you could. Okay. Or only a few people had them. Yeah, they were they were very few and far between, which uh, led to a lot of uh, you know, oh that person died, save and reload. So, <laughs> or uh, reload reload the reload to save because man i did not i did not appreciate getting to a certain point in the game and just being like oh hey uh that character died and i really could have used them um crap <laughs> so which kind of leads me into the uh, chariot system uh this is the this is sort of like oh what a lot of we'll say even more hardcore fans than us uh deride this version for it lets you go back up to 50 turns and change a turn basically so you could Say, you know, you go and move somebody a few turns back and they end up getting swarmed by the enemies and killed. You could go back to their turn and just like, oh, hey, maybe I shouldn't go that direction because I'm just going to get killed. The thing that I like about it is you don't have to use it. So, yeah. and I didn't use it I, through the first point. I did not use it. Have you used it at use. all? Nope. Impressive. <laughs> I only have one file, so. Oh, okay. Well, see, I, I, I went through and played the game that way. Um, to the end, and then once I got to the post-game stuff and started going backwards, I started using it. I was like, okay, and it's like, you know, I, I've proven I can beat this game. I'm going to just go ahead and use it now, <laughs> so. And, and see, I'm one of the softies who absolutely loves that feature for when I'm, like, playing at 11.30 or midnight right before bed and, I, you know, accidentally move the healer to the wrong place and get him <laughs> killed. And you're like, good, I'm just going to, yeah, I was half asleep. I'm just going to redo that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it, yeah. Take back, take back, take back. <laughs> Yeah, see, I totally appreciate that, especially now, like I said, having gone having gone through the game, and now I'm just, like, trying to see all the content and get all the characters. It's like, okay, well, it's like, I don't really feel like reloading the whole battle just to do this. It, it, It's basically just the easier version of, of that, of having to save and quit, so. Yeah, it, it is the simplified version of save scumming. Yeah, there you go. Basically. Yeah. And I, for me, like, I appreciate that it's there because it does make the game more accessible to people who aren't, uh, quite so familiar with strategy games especially tactics ogre it's it is not an easy game i mean even it's not friendly yeah <laughs> no no even, even being as familiar with this thing as i am i've still kind of gotten myself into a bind a couple times where i'm like oh man oh man oh man how am i gonna back out of this <laughs> and i will say the psp version is considerably or a decent bit easier than the ps1 version i'm gonna go ahead and agree with you on that one i i remember having a lot harder time with the uh with the battles in the ps1 version um I think part of the reason is, let's, well, I, I guess I can segue in, into that after this one. The class changes and the uh, and the way the skill system works. The class changes in the original version, you would have to have a character of a certain, um, 
what did you say? Alignment. Uh, there's lawful, neutral, and chaos, and certain characters based on that could only change into other characters, and then you'd have to have, like, certain... It was also, like, defined by gender, so only, like, females could be archers, only males could be knights, and that's something they did, did away with in the uh, in the PSP version. Pretty much any character can be anything, save for um, some of the unique classes, like lord and princess. And so what the PSP version did, as far as class change goes, you basically just have to get class marks. Uh, some of them are more rare than others, um, but... I think I'm swimming in, like, a hundred class marks for some classes at this point in the game now. Yeah. Yeah, that was a complete detour. The first game, the PS1 Super Famicom version, was kind of more like Ogre Battle, where you had to make, they had to have their certain skills and alignment and gender all had to be a certain way to unlock that class, and they had to meet those class requirements in order to skill up. Yeah. It does. It did sort of limit that, which was definitely a little bit more hardcore. I think than I, it definitely would have turned off. I think an audience today, like because that is something you can say about the ogre. I guess ogre battle series or the ogre series, however you want to say it, in general, is it can be a little obtuse and a little oh yeah a little vague with everything. <laughs> and then the skill system and the leveling system are completely different. Um, what we sort of alluded to earlier with uh, rock throwing, the in the original game, your characters had their own levels, and that was basically how they, you know, they treated like any other strategy RPG or any other RPG in general. They each had their own individual levels. Uh, you get a character at a certain point, and while the rest of your party is, say, like, you know, even in the tens or, you know, in the teens or the twenties, then you get somebody who's at level one. You're like, oh, God, how am I... How am I going to do this? Oh, I know. I'm going to go into the training mode, which isn't in the PSP version, but uh, I'm going to go into the training mode and just throw rocks at each other for four, five hours. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think this is something to be sad that it's gone. No, 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 definitely not. It was a little ridiculous. Like if you wanted to put it in AI mode and just watch them kind of fight each other was kind of fun. And I think you could also sort of do it where um, if you have enough characters, you could sort of do like a multiplayer thing mm-hmm. but i don't i i don't know that i've ever known anybody that would want to play multiplayer uh, tactics ogre with me like you know sitting next to each other on uh on a playstation one so i did oh did I you had a friend and i a couple times where we kind of do a draft right uh-huh so i'd have my my lineup and we'd go through and i'd pick a character and then he'd pick a character for his team and we'd go through until we filled out our, our group nice and then we fought it was fun Though you kind of have to make rules because you get like I unlocked Deneb, and she was really hard to unlock in the original, and I had her with like Petrify, and that just like wins. So <laughs> we, had to, we had to start having like house rules with no Petrify, no this or that. Oh, that okay. Kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a multiplayer um, in the in the PSP version. I don't know if that's online or if it's local. I never used it, so I'm yeah. not sure. That hot- is it ad hoc? Okay, yeah, that was uh, that. That's something I've never used either. Again, that was something like I don't know anybody personally that has played this game anywhere near as much as me. So it would be sort of just a oh hey let's let's go ahead and play. And I'm just gonna go in there like I could take one character and just slaughter them basically. It's like hey I've got a level thirty something day and you're dead. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I will say leveling system or the or the leveling system in this one I like. A- a little bit better. There's some things I'm not too fond of, but anyway, the the leveling system is basically handled by class. In this one, each class has their own levels. Um, you go in, so say if you've got a bunch of knights, they're all going to be the same level. What 
kind of makes the characterization more unique for each each one is the skills system. The way you earn skills is you actually have to have that character in battle. So say you've got, we'll say two knights, one knight sits on the sideline and the other one keeps going into battle with you. The one that keeps going into battle with you is going to get skill points and that's how you're going to get their, um, basically, I think it's up to 10 skills that each character can equip. Yeah. Okay. And that makes it a little bit easier to customize your characters. Some of these um, things you can actually carry over to different classes. So I found, um, oh, what is it? So like Counter-Attack 4, only some classes can learn. So I found myself bouncing back and forth. So like Counter-Attack 4, um, some of the stat buffing things you can kind of cross-equip with in certain classes. But you can't actually learn them with some classes. So I found myself bouncing around using those things. Um this adds a level of customization to each character, making them feel a little bit more unique rather than just, here's my knight, here's my da 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 you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it adds a layer of strategy where each of these characters you can bring into battle, and if based on what um, skills you've learned for them, you can kind of adjust them accordingly. So, Yeah, and contrast that to the old version, you leveled each character up, and depending on what class they were when they leveled, it gave them a certain attribute bonus, so... You stick someone as a certain class and level them only as that class the entire time. They're going to have a very slanted attribute to where you may not be a very good character at the end because of the stat growth bad. So there's a lot of strategy involved in that one. And that's okay. I'm going to do levels 5 through 15, 1 through 5 as a soldier, and 5 through 15 as a, a knight to get his strength up. And then I'm going to switch him over to a samurai, and then go to a ninja. And then you're going to have like this nice character with these nice attributes. And that is something that uh, is definitely more for the hardcore because I don't I didn't do that at all. That is a uh, that is spreadsheet heaven for some people. I think. <laughs> you did? Did you do a lot of that, Jonathan? Because I like I said I didn't. I don't think I touched. I didn't that. do spreadsheets, but I would kind of like eyeball it. Okay, yeah, that's all. That's, that's all stuff like I kind of don't like doing, and I'm I just started a new playthrough just to kind of go back and try it from scratch basically because you know going to the earlier battles with you know your more advanced characters you just can kind of plow through everything so it's like oh this isn't too difficult but going back you kind of do remember how difficult some of this stuff is so um and that's kind of what i appreciate about this is it definitely puts a focus more on the individual characters i mean let me rephrase that it changes the focus of the individual characters from before where it was like, okay, well, this is the character I'm going to use this for, and you adjust their stats a certain way to, and you just basically have a a certain party that you would use. It This makes characters that jump in in the middle of the game feel a little bit more useful, except unless you get a class that's, um, yeah, you don't get to late game like the gunner. Yeah, it's, it was really annoying trying to level up classes. Yeah, that... Um, I'm in the middle of that right now um, on my main playthrough because I had uh, Denim as a ninja up until the very end, and I changed him over to Lord. So I went from like a level 42 ninja to you know a level one Lord. I'm like, eh, boy, this is this is going to be a tough tough route to go. But thankfully, the stat growth uh, for him has been so good that uh, I'm still about six or seven levels behind the rest of my main party that I use. That he's still holding his own. So. Yeah, so it's a good and a bad, right? So you get a new character, you can toss them in. They can go right away starting to learn skills. However, when you have something like a new class, basically you just have a a dead character or two for a while. And you just kind of hide them in the corner and hope they don't get, they don't get killed. Yeah, yeah, that's basically the only way to do it. So, Which is kind of a, to me, I think it's a kind of poor way of doing it. 
Yeah, I wish there was like some way you could just like boost up a character, even if you had to pay for it or some way. Like, because um, what I found I would do is um, I would use like weaker, we'll say classes or lower level classes, take them into battle with that one, and just do it that way. This way, I'm leveling up that class at the same time as leveling up the uh, you know the new class I got and trying to get them up to speed. So, because I, I kind of stopped using knights about oh, I don't know two thirds of the way through the game. And now my knights are all about, like, eh, seven levels behind the rest of my party. Because I think the rest of my characters that I use are in the, like, mid-40s, I think, at this point. There's a definite, definite disparity. And uh, it's not quite as bad as the original Tactics Ogre, where if you're, say, like, a level five, and then you're fighting somebody that's a level seven, they can just wreck shop with you. Whereas this, if there are a couple levels, it's not that big of a it's not that big of a deal. You can hold your own. It's going to be a little bit tougher, but I mean, yeah, c- coming up against somebody that's like two levels higher than you, you definitely would need to gang them. Basically, that was the only way of taking down people in that that I'm remembering. So and you'd have to hope they hit. I think that two hit on low when you're lower is really hard. Yeah, like I said, there's there, there there's a lot that they improved in this in this version, and we're. I don't want to say we're. I don't. I don't even think we're halfway through the list of the improvements on this one. So, um, another thing they added was finishing moves, which I com- I don't know how, but I completely forgot those weren't in the original. And then, uh, like I said, I just kind of recently was playing through again, and I was like, oh yeah, of course they couldn't because the fl- like the graphical flourishes that they throw in there. I'm like, of course the Super Famicom and PlayStation and Saturn weren't capable of these these things. The thing I like about these is you pick a weapon. You just keep using that weapon, and eventually you learn these powerful finishing moves, which can really, really change the tide of battle if you use them at a certain point. And they also add, like, debuffs, and um, if I'm remembering right, yeah. There's uh, one archer one that will that you can use that will um, basically... What's the one? Not hobble. Maybe it is hobble, where the character can't walk anymore. And they just Sounds stay. right, maybe. Yeah, they just stay right there. So it's like, oh, cool. It's like, now I can just pick you off from a distance. No problem. You can't do anything to me. <laughs> Yeah, the original, you didn't have most of these skills. I think like Canopus had a special ability, but a lot of them, I think, either had magic or no magic, and they just either, you know, just attacked. Yeah, I think there was a, like, it was like a wind shot or something like that that Canopus had. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty OP, still is OP. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Or how do you say Canopus? Because I say Canopus. I say Canopus. Canopus, okay. I'm just kind of curious. Josh, how about yourself? I think cannabis. Cannabis. Okay, so I'm the oddball out on this one. <laughs> okay, let's uh let, let, let's talk Birdman's uh build here. I I personally have him with a um with a one-handed bow and a one-handed axe. Yeah, that's how I had him built. I think I, I did that just... for a while. I think I used a spear with him a lot. Because I remember in the original, um, a spear I think spear. was his best was his best bet. I think I went old school and gave him a spear. I think yeah, depending on I think I'd alternate because I think some axe upgrades are one handed and sometimes they switch over to two handed or the same with the bows. And so a lot of times you'd have a dated weapon. Then I'd switch to the spear for a while. I think I flipped it back and forth. OK, so you must have used him quite a bit then um, with or with the things just for the uh, like the weapon skills to build up. Yeah, I believe so. And I always rotated most of my guys around, but he was in the party a lot of times, like story missions for sure. Yeah, I can't really recall when I'm not using him too often. Uh, Josh, how about yourself? You kind of oh, used him quite uh, a bit. yeah, he was definitely the, the the main MVP of my party. You know, his ability to be able to fly and jump up to any sort of height just made him incredibly useful. <laughs> now, 
Um, so I guess I, I guess some of the uh, lesser changes of this, I, I don't want to say lesser, just less system stuff. Um, they improve the graphics quite a bit. Um, if you look at it, like just screenshot, it still does just look like a 16-bit RPG. But when you see like little particle effects and lighting effects in some of the cutscenes, you can like, oh, okay, well clearly this isn't the original version. Um, I think I think it was like one of the first things I I noticed was uh, when you free Duke Ronway, and you're sitting in the chamber and like the light pouring through, and there's like little like tiny particle effects through the light. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh wow, okay, they really did do this thing up quite a bit. It's kind of funny to see it in contrast to the little stubby uh, character sprites, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Which look very faithful to the originals. Yeah, incredibly. I mean, like, like I said, I, I, you could be forgiven for looking at it and being like, "Oh, this is the original game." So, um, Jonathan, as you mentioned before, they, um, I don't want to say orchestrated because I guess they used the synthesizer for this. But I thought there was some orchestral versions. Maybe it's just the soundtrack. I know there's a new soundtrack and an old school sound style soundtrack. Well, I think they basically uh, faked uh, an orchestra. Yeah, I may have. I think, yeah. I mean, as much as um, as much money as they did put into this game, I can't imagine they would have hired an orchestra to redo the soundtrack for this. Although, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe Hitoshi Sakamoto and uh, Iwata have a have a little uh, little deal going with somebody. It's like, hey, this is a this is a pet project of ours. You want to you want to help us out for a little on the cheap? But from if I'm remembering right, I think I think they basically kind of faked the uh, faked the funk, if you will, on that. <laughs> uh, redid the script quite a bit. Uh, changed not changed, but. Uh, some of the character names. Um, I think uh, the most notable one is uh, Aracel, used to be Aliser. <laughs> a loser. A loser, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, which was definitely, uh, we'll say in contrast to how good of a character she is, because man, like, VIP, like, definitely, like, one of the VIPs in that, in that game. Mm-hmm. Speaking of VIPs, that was gone. Remember that in the first game? Did they have? Oh, I am completely. Remind me. You could, I think, if you had three or five kills or something, you could get a VIP award, and it was like an automatic level up. Oh wow! Okay, wow! I had no idea. I didn't. I don't really. Yeah. Yeah, she got it once, and I think I got I had a few of them. But yeah, you could get a VIP, I believe, in battle, and like get a level up or something like that. Oh, okay. It, was, it had a little, a little like fanfare thing for it. That's uh that that is something I I, I do kind of miss them having taken out is the little the little like fanfare things that they took out like you know when you go to uh when you go to a stage to go fight that they took out the fight it out yeah <laughs> little voiceover that, thing that's from the ogre battle original game yep i remember that that that, that yeah. one i do i was like oh hey that, that was a nice little touch i think we're missing something else that's big oh yeah just all the new characters too yeah like, ravenous too yeah and they, i think they did a pretty good job of like fitting her into the script because they added ravenous the um the pirate uh Canopus mm-hmm. sister, or Canopus's sister, Canopus. See, now you guys got me saying it that way. <laughs> Damn you! I've been saying it that way for twenty years. I've got to stick to it. <laughs> but they added her sister into it too, and yeah, she's Yulia, a, right? Yeah, and she's yeah, a songstress, like, which is a new class as well. Really hard to get her. Yeah, I got her. Um, I kind of found her not very useful, to be honest. <laughs> And then, you know, there are, since you played Ogre Battle, there, there are actually holdovers from the Ogre Battle original game. So, so Yulia's in, in there, so is Canopus, there was uh, then Lons, and Warren, mm-hmm. and Deneb. I think those are the carryover characters. Yeah, and I think there's uh, some 
like not speculation, I guess, but you can kind of piece together that the um, what is it uh, the two knights that are with him all the time, Mildus and Gildane or something. Yeah, something to that effect. Yeah, yeah that they're um, that they're the two Lots knights that knights. are with him. Yeah, in the in ogre battle, so which would make sense. Um, yeah. I do like uh, that they named in the PlayStation One version. He was Warren Moons or Warren Moon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow. There's there, there's something that's not going to be a dated reference here in a few years, guys. A the yeah the, the quarterback. For, oh jeez. <laughs> and it, what did they change it to in in this? Is it? I don't remember. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like I, I like I know it's still Warren, but you know what? I'm going to have to go look it up. But yeah, it's just, it's sort of like a funny, like little reference there. Um, yeah, like I said, it's, there's a lot of weird little, um, weird little changes. Uh, but I think the biggest change, well, well, we'll get to that in a second here. Um, they, they, they definitely added some post game stuff. Cause I remember like, you know, you get the ending of the game and that was, that was the end of it. That was, that was the end. You know, it was like fin curtain drawn, go, if you want to, if you want to play it, start a new save file, which was what I did multiple times. Um, this they added, like you said, getting the um, getting the pirate, getting I, I am completely blanking on the pirate's name, but yeah, and the true ending. Oh, that's right. I'm I, I'm still plugging away at that one, so I haven't got it either. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably like a three hundred hour investment. I would imagine. <laughs> Poor Lons. Uh, yeah, he gets treated so badly in this, and I liked him so much from the original game. And he's a really great guy in this one too it's like oh man yeah. it's uh, yeah so um so yeah i don't i, I want to spoil that so we're, we're not that far along maybe towards the end of the game club we'll we'll get to that like what happens to him so oh there's also some of the enemy characters that you get that's not in the first one. Oh, that's right ozma for one yeah they're pretty op yeah she's she's crazy nasty good yeah you know, most bosses are harder than your normal guys. Well, you kind of get a boss in your group. <laughs> yeah, in the original, she is the she is a, a set of twins, Oz and Ozma, which kind of kind of a strange character name choice if you ask me, but whatever. Um, and she is she is vicious, but yeah. somehow she has a change of heart and joins you, which I don't know seems kind of out of character. But the Haberim love story. <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> yeah um because because she, she's like 18 and he's in his 50s i think no he's not that old he just looks old oh, okay yeah, he just looks like he got blind i think he's like 30 father father time just kicked his ass so yeah he for some reason they made his character look real it's because he's a sword master so i think they make him look old but i think the, in his bio i remember I remember this specifically because I'm like, oh, what's his? He's so old looking, and his bio, he's like 29 or 30. I'm like, what the hell? I guess that's old in JRPG terms. That's like yeah. ancient. That, there you go. It's JRPG. He's 30. He's over the yeah, hill. He's, he's practically yeah, he's dead. Almost... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, another, uh, another couple years, and he's fossil fuel, basically. That does bring up probably my most hated battle. It was really hard. That was only in the PS1 version. On the chaos route, having to save Haberim and not let him die. Oh, I, I can't tell you how many times I restarted that battle. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that in this game, too, where, like, the AI seems suicidal a lot of the times. But, yeah, I, I do I do remember trying to save him was uh, no easy task. Oh, uh, getting back to Warren, Omen. O-M-O-N. Ah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, so they just, they just juxtapose the letters. Do you remember getting, and I'm, draw, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the gunner? He was the only gunner in the game. 
Do you remember getting him in the in uh, the original version? Oh, no. It was like Rimdoll or something like that. Yeah, he was incredibly obtuse to get. Yeah, I don't think you. I think there was guns, but I don't think he was. Maybe there was. Him. I don't know that. I'm pretty sure I remember something along those lines. But there, it was different. Yeah, he. Um. Well, I, well, in this in this one, they renamed it to the Fusilier. And yeah, but he was he was the lone gunner, and you can get gunner class mark or a fusilier class marks in this version, so you can make multiple gunners. Um, yeah, that's um, I, I I think it was like my second or third play through the game that I uh, that I tracked that down because in the uh, not so great uh, original strategy guide there is a picture of a gunner, but they make no indication whatsoever where you get it, how you get it, and it's just like oh, okay. Thanks. So is this just like unused character art you're just throwing here? <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I, you know, a lot of people have this nostalgia for uh, you know '90s uh, strategy guides. Man, I don't because the uh, the one that came out for the PSP remake, uh, m- much more useful. <laughs> oh yeah, that one's good. Yeah. Not not nearly as like as deep if you're sitting there going through game FAQs and stuff. But yeah, that's uh yeah, that one's definitely a little bit more, we'll say useful. I think the last major thing, uh, that's a positive, And then Jonathan, you and I can talk about the thing we really don't like. And Josh, I'm sure you're probably not a big fan of this thing either. But uh, the thing that I think we can all agree that's great is the world tarot where you can go back after you've beaten the game to anchor points and relive the story, uh, try different branches, see how things play out and recruit different characters that way that you couldn't get otherwise. Which, for a game like this, where there are so many different branches, is just a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to start from scratch all over again. Yeah, tell, t- tell that to 16-year-old me, and I would have probably just waited to play it until that until now. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, uh, I probably spent about 400... I probably lost about 400 hours of my life to that game back then, just because of that. And... I like that game a lot, but yeah, looking back now, and like I said, I haven't played the Saturn version a little bit, I'm like, man, I don't think I could play this now. So, um, you know, one thing I did notice too, the menu selection, like in battle is a lot snappier in the PSP version. Everything just moves a lot faster. Like I've noticed, like I can just like plow through those battles in the PSP version and going through the Saturn, um, and the Super Famicom one, they move a little bit slower. So it's a little bit harder to get through everything. So, oh, the magic. How so? What's the magic with the, uh. The relic, not to, what's the special magic that does like one little square at a time? You know what I'm talking about? The area effect ones. The uh, Yeah, the area effect ones. And then you get the special dragon magics, whatever, later. I forgot the name of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on uh, that too. Yeah, there's so many little details in this game. I think we can be forgiven for like, not knowing them all. Normal fire, lightning, ice kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the special high-end magic you got later in the game. And they would have quite a bit of area of effect, and it would do one slow square at a time. Burn, burn, burn. It would bounce around. I um, I, I think you're forgetting the uh, the sound effect load, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So instead of just, casualty. like, doing an area effect where it, like, hits everything at once, it does damage, and you go to the next turn, it would actually, you know, if you're hitting 16 squares, you'd have to wait for it to do every square, and it was just killer. Yeah, it still sort of does that here. Like if you're doing fire um, and there's a grass square, it will burn the grass away. Um, You know, one thing I will. What was that? So, yeah, maybe it does still do that. Maybe it's just a lot faster. So it's less noted. Well, (laughs) they don't actually show each one of them now um, where there has to be something in that area of effect for it to actually do it. So 
So like if there's like a grass, if there's a grass panel, the fire one will burn that away, but it won't like show it like, you know, the 16 square thing where it's like, okay, there's one, two, three. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. (laughs) I'll come back to this thing later. It'll probably, it it might be done by the time I get back. So. last big edition i don't want to say big edition it's not that big but um it's something jonathan you and i were talking offline about a little bit before we got or before we started doing the podcast the the crafting (laughs) the crafting system in this game Mm -hmm. is is no great shakes we'll say um basically you get recipes for uh armor for items and you get, uh, you know, going through going through levels, you get uh, the, the crafting materials. And it's not so bad at first because there's zero chance for failure for the early recipes. But as you go on, the failure rate in- increases the more difficult the recipe is. Which, okay, maybe an interesting idea. But at the same time, one, all you're going to do is cause me to save scum. And two, you're just really making it tedious and frustrated. I, I remember, like, I would get a bunch of stuff for it and... After a playthrough, and I'm like, oh, cool, I can make this now. And I would save and fail, save and fail. And I'm like, oh, God. And it would just make me put down the game for a day or two. <laughs> like, okay. I'll put it more in perspective, even. Go ahead, please. So on, on early items, like you said, not a big deal. On later items, some of these items you only ever get one of, or they're really, 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 really hard to find, or very rare drop, whatever, call it. And making, and it's part of an ingredient to make another ingredient, and that ingredient has a sixty percent chance to to create. Oh, that's so you okay. sit there and create something, and it fails, and then you're like, I just lost that item I sat there and grinded five hours for. Uh-huh. So yeah, you definitely have to save scum. So anything that encourages the save scum like that's a bad design. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. So it, it wasn't just creating the item. It was also creating the components for the item. So say this item needs five of these and 10 of these and 12 of these and 15 of these. You can make the item. Well, each one of those 10 of things, you got to make this, this, and this. And then once you have those three things, you can make that thing. So you had to like go down and list. Okay, I got to make 30 of this, 20 of this, 15 of this, make and make and make. Okay, now I can make 15 of this. All right, that's just one component. And it's like, holy crap. It, it, it would be like this long... Do this, dude. There's no reason for it no, at all to be this. Completely ugh. agree. And you almost had to do it though, because if you wanted the nice badass weapons, or you got this really cool new uh, um, recipe to make this thing, that's the only way to get. It. You couldn't buy it in shops. You wouldn't get it off an enemy. So my biggest thing I dislike about the PSP version and the PS1 version, I love like fighting this boss that's been, you know. 
my enemy for several hours of gameplay and dialogue. Oh, okay, I'm finally going up against this, you know, this dude. I'm going to fight him. You kill him and you get his awesome sword that you can. And when you equip the sword and, or swing it, you see that sword's like um, sprite in action. Mm-hmm. There's new axe or whatever you want to call it, armor. So you would actually get these awesome named pieces of equipment that you'd outfit your troops with. And that was really cool with the customization. Yeah. Now, a lot of those are still there, but you don't get them from the enemy. You'll just maybe get a recipe from them that you can then make that weapon at some point in time. And it's usually near the end game. So for the most part in this game, you're using all the vanilla weaponry. Whereas in the original game, even early on, you get a few pieces of cool named weaponry. Some of them wouldn't last you all game because they'd get outdated, but a lot of them did. And it, that was a, a much nicer touch than this tedious, annoying crafting system they did. That was my biggest regret with the game. Yeah, I think that's the game's kind of fatal flaw, if it has one. Josh, how was your experience coming into this? Because you, you didn't have the same experience that Jonathan and I did with the previous knowledge of this game. So like, coming into this, like, was it that problematic for you? Yeah, like... It... I mean, it's it's just, it's kind of weird, like thinking back to it because I, I I do remember it is a you know like as a whole it's a daunting game to play because there are a lot of different systems you have classes all this stuff but the yeah the crafting as far as I can remember the first time I, I bailed on that at some point in the game it just kind of muddled through with what I, you know with the the weapons that I had weapons and items that I had because it was just too big of a pain to even bother with saves coming. Yeah, I, I think, like, the first couple like, tiers of it aren't too bad. And then, like, once you start getting up, like, like you were saying, Jonathan, where you had to start making multiple of the second or, like, second tier stuff to make the third tier stuff, it's like, okay, this is getting this is getting out of hand. And it's like, I'll just make do. <laughs> it's like, I'll just think a little bit harder. Well, yeah, and a lot of it was, okay, get this one rare item, get 20 steels or 20 boulder or whatever it was, and then uh, the last tiered weapon. Or the other special, like there's like maybe a name spear, and then from that name spear you make another special spear, and so there's a whole bunch of stuff to make that one spear. Then you have to add all this extra iron and, and materials for that, and this two special items. It was like you could sit there and spin, and then before you made any hard or any low uh, percentage, relatively low percentage, uh, what not a recipe, but um. Right, I guess whenever you did went to craft them, anything low, you'd have to back out of that, go to the menu, save it, mm-hmm. come back in. Okay, now make it. It failed. Okay, load. It failed. Okay, load. It failed. Okay, okay. <laughs> yep. Made it. Okay, it made it. Okay, go and save. It made it. Now go back and try the next one. It was. It could take you 15 or 20 minutes to make one new item. Yeah. And that's just, oh, man, it was so killer. You had to have a lot of patience. In a, in a game where they did so much to streamline it and make it more accessible, this feels like something that they did for the people who are, like, super hardcore. Like, here, you want something challenging? It's the crafting system. <laughs> grind away. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Grind and don't actually get much out of it. So it's just like, why, why, why this decision? So it's, like I said, in, in a game with so many remarkably smart decisions where they, they look at this game that was, you know, so far ahead of its time and, like, sort of the the genesis of the genre to a point and to make so many, like I said, smart upgrades and then to do this and you're like, you guys haven't looked like anybody else's crafting system in video games. I mean, we're talking, you know, 30 years of video games and you guys haven't decided like, Hey, let's look at somebody else's thing and steal that. It's like, 
you guys innovated so much back then. No one's going to fault you for stealing somebody else's crafting system that's smartly done and very well very well streamlined and accessible and no failure or no constant failure rates. It's like, oh, come on. It's like the one damn thing. But and it seems like we're really, really hammering this point home. But I think it's just because like how remarkably well done this game is that this seems like such a weird thing it, i don't know it's it's like the best i can think is like eating a great meal then finding like a hair in it like at the very end you're like oh oh, oh man <laughs> why <laughs> it's like this thing was great up until this and it's like it, it kind of sours your experience when you think about it but then you play the game and you're not really getting to the crafting system you don't think about that it's just like oh this game is great this is marvelous They've done so much to improve this, and you get to, like, all right, I got a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to go crack crap. I'm going to go craft. Swell. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm like, all right, I'm not where I need to. The next thing I'm going to do is craft all the stuff to make these new weapons. I'm like, okay, that's it for the night. Yep. It's like, yeah, it's like, ah, I'm going to put this down, and I'll do this another time. So that was uh, that, that was something, like, I would kind of do and save for, um, like, you know, sitting on the couch watching TV with my wife or something like that. I, I, would, I would find, like, okay, well, here's something where I can just kind of mindlessly do it and not pay attention and while i'm watching tv and talking to her and this way i don't get as frustrated with my uh with my game so needed something to kind of uh kind of ballast that off from rage quitting from crafting which man <laughs> if you had ever told me something a, a game would make me rage quit from crafting i would have called you nuts but here we are it's happened a couple times so <laughs> and that one time you're like uh, it's like 90%. I'm not even going to bother your saves coming and then fail. And you're like, oh, you just want to snap your PSP in half. Yep, 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 yeah, yeah. I think that about wraps up everything with the change to this game. The one thing I did want to bring up is um, the way that, like, the fights seem to feel. Um, Josh, you're probably not going to have any experience with no. or yeah, with this one. Um, uh, Jonathan, so this is, this is pretty much going to be you and me on this one. As far as, like, tactics go, I feel like they it changed it. The battle system changed enough where in the original game, I feel like you had to kind of stay in formation and move very methodically and keep together but spread out just a little bit so you didn't get hit with area effects stuff whereas this one i feel like you can kind of like spread out and flank a little bit send off individual characters onto their own um did you get that feel or am i or is that just maybe the way i approached it i don't remember that 
amount of detail with the old one as far as battle tactics. I remember it was just harder because your guys would die, mm-hmm. and then if you died, that was it. So you'd have to restart if you wanted to keep that character. Um, and maybe that's I why. Think there was two more characters in battle in this game, though, right? It was not 12 instead of 10. I think so. I'm trying to remember. Like, I, honestly, I, think, I don't remember hitting the 12 thing in the in the original. No, so I think, I right. think it was 10 in the original and 12 in this one. And I think there's a, there's a bit more named characters and special characters now too. So oh, for sure. Uh, you you and just like most of these games, maybe some of your very original team characters or a very special niche class, like your cleric or something. Uh, will be like a generic, but you know, towards middle end of the game, um, by far your best soldiers uh, are going to be your name people, and it's it's not it's kind of not close either. So yeah. they really outclass the the regulars, and then you start getting some of the special classes like Osmus and and some of the other ones that have some unique things that there are classes only they can be. Then they're really uh, uh, elite compared to your generic guys. So I. You know, Final Fantasy Tactics is guilty of that too. I do kind of like some games where I have some guys in there, and they're they're still viable options because I spent so much time and kind of gotten attached to these guys, and I've kind of helped grow them from the ground up. That I do do wish they're a little more viable in the in game, and some of them are. They're just definitely subpar compared to the named people. Yeah, um, I don't think um, I don't think there's a like just overall like murder class. Um... In Tactics Ogre, like there is, well, like, I mean, look at, look at, look at TJ Sid, or TG, TG Sid. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, you you put him in there, the game just becomes easy mode. It's like, he can just go wreck everything by himself very easily. Whereas, like, you know, uh, Kenobis, like, for me, like, he, he's, he's, he's a little frail compared to some of the other characters, so you still kind of have to work together with him. He's, he's just a good, like, character that's stronger than everybody else and has incredible mobility. But yeah, uh, you know, one thing I did kind of think, um, do you remember getting like the, like, t- I'm trying to think like teleportation, like wrist guard or something like that. It sounds familiar and you can teleport instead of move. Yeah. Do you remember getting, I, I, I am yet to have find or found one of those in the PSP version. I didn't even think about it until now, so probably not. You know what? I wonder if they took that out because, like, that was that was my original thing was um, I'd use Canopus, um, you know, as sort of my, you know, high mobility melee guy. And then I had the um, – my I would have, like, two archers with those teleportation rings or bracelets or whatever they were, and I would plunk them at the top of the map wherever they were. Um, there's even some places um, where they are completely inaccessible. No one can hit them. <laughs> So I, sure I would, don't remember anything like that from the PSP version. Okay, great. <laughs> but so, I may have missed it. <laughs> uh, I, I I think between the three of us, we probably have a good like you know what would you say four hundred hours, five hundred hours into this game between the three of us? Because I'm I'm at two thirty. Yeah, probably. Y'all are way way more than me. I think I'm like eighty or ninety. I think my first playthrough. Okay, so yeah, so there. I mean, yeah, but. We, we've got a good amount of hours into this game. So at the bare minimum, we'll say 400 hours between the three of us. But I'm yet to have seen one. And if you guys are yet to have seen one either, I think they're probably not in the game, which is unfortunate. I They were a huge, like, great thing to have for your archers. Because like I said, um, I, I think it's in the 99 level dungeon that I would, like, put them on top of some of the pillars and nobody could hit them because they were so high up. Other archers couldn't even arc that high. 
So it would just be like, oh, just sit here and plunk, 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 <laughs> plunk, plunk. You're dead. It's like, oh, cool. You know, I'm amazed, like, I don't remember the VIP thing because I'm sure my archers got a bunch of kills that way. I also recall, too, I think archers aren't as ridiculous in the PSP version as the original. No, they are definitely toned down a little bit, but they are still pretty good character class to have. Actually, now that you mention it, Alistair, or I forget, now I always think of her as Alistair. What's her name now? Arsene, I think. Yeah. I still, I think I still even called her Alistair when, uh, even with her new spelling of her name, but I think she might have been the closest thing to a god character. She would just destroy, and then she was hard to hit. Yeah, yeah, her evade is just insane, and yeah, she, if you, yeah, you give her a good two-handed bow, she is just a wrecking ball. Yeah, cheat code. And just keep, her, keep a wall of tanks in front of her, and she just run around and just pick everything off. Um, yeah, before we started recording, I was actually messing around in that forest where you can get the uh, the recipes and stuff, and um, I was just like, had a wall, or you know, like, uh, I was using uh, Canopus, Vice, and Denim, and another archer, and Aerosol, and just out, Aerosol was just like, plunk, 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 it's like, okay, it's like, we're barely doing any damage to these dragons, and Aerosol's just like, oh no, I'll take half, half their health in one shot, it's cool, don't worry about it guys, I got it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, dragons are a pain in the butt. Yeah, yeah. That, that, there's a lot of these classes where, like, I've never really found a good way to, like, take them down. Like, it seems like nothing I use really is a weakness on them. So it's just like, oh, God. But, yeah. Um, some of the other classes, too, I think, got gimped. Uh, personally, like, the ninjas, like, they originally were able to use regular magic, offensive magic. And they can't do that here. They have their own specialty magic. Um, and... Man, I, I don't like the ninjas in this game. Also, uh, do you guys ever notice when a ninja moves? There's a very brief pause. It, very, it takes me back to the PS1 game. Hmm. I don't I remember that. Yeah. I, I, I didn't notice it. <laughs> I, um, I was just playing through, and I was like, oh, that's right. I forgot about this. Like, every time a ninja will make a move, it will, it will pause the game very briefly, which is a very strange little thing. I mean, you don't see ninjas very often, so I guess it's not that big a deal, but it's just like, that's odd that that happened. So, like I said, it kind of... Kind of brings back not fond memories of the PS1 version, but thankfully it's, you know, very few and far between instances like that. So now I think that just about covers everything as far as changes goes, unless you guys want to bring out, bring up anything else. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, besides story stuff, but yeah, we can, I think, I, I think as we're going through, maybe we can make some comparisons to what was there and what wasn't there. If we remember, um, if not, I don't think it's a big deal. Cause we're going to mostly be using the PSP one as the, uh, sort of like, Hey, if you're going to play this game pl- and play through with us, play through with this one. Cause going back to the original version is going to be a little hard. So anyway, uh, with that, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break and then we'll get to the first chapter of this game.
Alright, and we're going to start covering the first chapter of this game. So, if you haven't played it yet, I would recommend you play it. Or, if this is what you're wanting to listen to, to kind of see if this is what you want to start playing this game. If we haven't sold you with the systems, um, hopefully the story does, because I think that is a major major thing that this game has over just about every other game of its genre is how great of a story Tactics Ogre is. That That's definitely what brought me into it. I can't remember anymore if I had read about Matsuno um, being inspired by the Balkan conflicts of the 90s when he when he started making this game. I can't remember if I read that beforehand or if I started picking up on the uh, the parallels once I played the game and then read about it after the fact. But, you know, like, I... I I studied some of that stuff in college when I took a geography course on the Balkans. Mm-hmm. So all, so you know, the the story of Tactics Ogre like it really resonated with me. Jonathan, how about yourself? Did you did you make any of those connections when you were younger? Because I know I didn't. <laughs> we were both sixteen when when we played this yeah. originally, or sixteen or seventeen. Uh, so <laughs> no, I don't think so. I just, I mean, I didn't. Con- I connected it with like the political style story that had the. A lot of betrayals and all that, but I didn't actually connect it to any kind of real, explicit or specific real world event. No. Yeah, that's um, that's definitely my experience. Is like it, it was definitely after the fact that I learned that you know there was the, at the very least, uh, inspiration for in there, and then kind of looking at it, it's like, oh wow, okay, it's like I get it. There's there is a lot of uh, you know, um, a uniting factor dies. Um, and you like, have the three different groups who are all, you know, left kind of like fighting with one another. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it all goes down to, yeah, like ethnic groups, uh, suppression, genocide. I mean, there is so much to this game that you're like, you look at, like I said, you it stands kind of in stark contrast to the cute little sprites that are in this game. That it's like, oh, man, there's a lot of dark shit going on in here. <laughs> there's a lot of dark stuff in the story. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, we were talking about this off the air, but like the the end of this first chapter is what kind of was just like, uh, w- whoa, like th- that was like kind of like one of my first like like not just like oh this is cool, but it was like oh, oh my god moments in video games. Yeah, I mean, nothing. Everything is for the most part much more lighthearted, or even if it wasn't lighthearted, it was you know dark and gruesome, but it was just more for the shock factor. This was like really digs into like human nature type stuff. Yeah. And I, I think normally like video games kind of deal in black or white. And this was one of the first examples of shades of gray that I ever got out of a story in a video game. I, granted, oh, totally. There, there, oh, yeah. Ahead. This game is just so, yeah, there is definitely no black and white in this game. It's all gray. Everyone, everyone is, there are no just good guys and bad guys. Everyone does some some things that are a little bit underhanded, you know, in their own interest. And it makes for a really, like I almost want to use just the word adult story that you don't often see in a video game. Yeah. Certainly much more complex story than you would typically say. With as political as it is, I would say, um, I, I've heard it made mentioned to as for a comparison, but it did Game of Thrones, you know, like 20 years before Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And, and, just, that, and that scale, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so insane. Like, just you, you think of this like the Super Famicom game that's, you know, put, like more than 20 years old pushing this story like this. And you're like, there are video games today that don't come to anywhere near 
as deep of a narrative or as interesting as a narrative as this thing is doing. And um, part of the thing I like about the remake so much is that I think like the the game itself finally kind of met up to the we'll say expectations of the, that the narrative set forth. Like it it's man, I don't want to say fun because. It, I, I don't think Tactics Ogre is what you consider a fun game, but if you enjoy tactical RPGs, there's a lot to enjoy here that I could see people bouncing off of just because of uh, you know the aforementioned throwing rocks at people. That isn't isn't terribly fun. But anyway, um, let's get on with the first chapter here. So the game opens up with a sequence of uh, well, I, you know, I, I guess we should have just known from the beginning that this game was not going to be a very happy start. Uh, it opens up with. A village being burned to the ground, um, soldiers just murdering townspeople, vice on a horse. I mean, yeah, I guess maybe we sh- the expectation should have been set right there that, you know, maybe this isn't going to be a happy story at all. <laughs> Not so much. It's like I, you kind of skim over that in, in your head. It's like, it's like, oh, it's like yeah, the opening thing is kind of cute. And it's just like, oh, you know, it's like this heroic band of and you're like, oh, wait a second. No, that opening showed people getting slaughtered in the. I think one of the more iconic things in that opening sequence is the uh, the adult getting slaughtered by one of the Lotus soldiers, and then the child with a teddy bear crying as he uh, as she uh, you know you would assume just watched his fa- or watched her father get killed in front of her. It's like okay, well that's that's a mood we're setting. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see an ominous one eyed guy with an eye patch uh, with a crazy looking horse. I mean, I think. What? That that has got to be a helmet, right? It's got like two <laughs> ram horns on it. Oh, it certainly hopes so. Yeah, it's an evil unicorn. <laughs> there you go. Evil unicorns have two horns, so I think it's I think it's the way we've learned from this game was what we can take away. Um, and I guess that'd be a bike horn, right? Sorry. Hunk <laughs> <laughs> hunk hunk. Yeah, there we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna find a, a a bike horn sound and put it in there. So anyway, um. So this this goes into Vice on the horse and meeting with um, his two friends that you learn one of them is the main character you've been controlling throughout this denim and I've I always said Kachow when it was um, in the PS one version but I've kind of settled on Kachua now yeah I do Kachua okay how about yourself Kachua. Quechua sounds good. Quechua. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I, I think it, like originally her name was like K-A-C-H-U, if I'm remembering right. Hmm. Yeah. I think it was a little like, that's why I said Kachow. I don't know why the, the U made that sound in my head, the O-W sound, but yeah. Anyway, um, you find out that they, the- they were plotting a, a an attack on basically the person that had uh, attacked their village. Um, they go up to go meet, and this is where you get introduced to the battle. Um, the, the, you know, one thing they did change in the uh, PSP version um, is that, like, you know, I, I had this force of habit, I don't know about you, Jonathan, where I would go around the back and throw a rock at Warren just for the experience points, and I still do that, even though it doesn't do anything now. Really? I don't remember doing that. Okay. Yeah, I do I, I do that in the... Um, I did that in the PS1 version because it was an easy, like, I think it was like 16 experience points or something that you would just get because he was like two, two or three levels higher than you and it was like a 90% chance to hit him with a rock. So I was like, oh, cool, I'll just do that. Before we get too far ahead, we did leave out one Ogre Battle Series staple. Okay, go ahead. The pre-game uh, fate card picking stuff. Oh, that's right. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
You know, I just did this. I can't believe I actually <laughs> completely neglected it. So um, this does vary qu or quite differently between the two versions. The um, I want to like the original one like has you picking like three virtues from each, um, I guess, goddess. And the Ogre Battle or the uh, PSP version has you picking um, like answers from a tarot card, mm -hmm. and those affect your stat your stats. Also, the you can you can pick what alignment you want with the god or the goddess, and that basically affects your elemental thing, which also affects like what you're strong against, what you're weak against. That's something else. I, Kind of back. I think we're gonna backtrack here and there to to some of the stuff that we may have missed. But like, I think the elemental stuff gets downplayed quite a bit in this version of the game, whereas in the original, oh, yeah. it definitely definitely had more of an effect on things. Like terrain had more of an effect on attack power, um, using magic that you were like. I, I I would always pick denim with a uh, with earth magic or with like an earth attribute, and then I'd have him use earth magic as a ninja too. Yeah, because you basically wanted to either, I can't remember in the original, you're either limited to that magic or you're so much stronger in that magic, there's no reason to use the out-of-element uh, magic of yeah. that character. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I don't recall which which or which or was the case, but yeah, it at the very least, it seemed almost silly to use it if you could use anything in butt. So. But anyway, um, yeah, it gives you some definite like dark choices too, like, uh, you know, you're, um, like, you know, you, you can save one person in... Um, you know, your, your wife, your child or yourself or something to that effect in a burning or like, you know, your house is burning. It's like, man, there's, there's, I don't know. I, I guess in a sense too, that that should have given you a hint that there's a, there's not a lot of great choices in this game to be made that are going to come up with a happy ending. There's not going to be any happy choices to this. There's no, Oh, everything's going to work out. Just find an ending for everybody in this game. I think we, I think we alluded to that with a <clears throat> certain character we mentioned that we'll, we'll stave off for the time being because I don't want to spoil that. <laughs> so, but okay. So this, uh, so getting back to the, or uh, Jonathan, do you have anything else you wanted to add to that part? No, nope, that's about it. Okay. Just, uh, it's a very something very unique to the series that kind of gives it its charm. Do they do that? I don't remember them doing that in Ogre Battle '64. Did they do that in Knight of Lotus, the GBA uh, one? I don't. Maybe not. Maybe it's just. Maybe it's just the two Matsuno games. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of weird. Like that. There's four games in the series, and uh, Matsuno's only had his hand at two of them, basically. So. Anyway, um, this goes to the first battle where, it's basically you you find these people who, Vice thinks are your enemies, and um, like I said, I go around back and try to and throw, throw a rock at Warren every time, and then Vice will go up and take a swipe at Lons. Lons just dodges... Or no, he takes a swipe at a Canopus, right? Canopus? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I just yeah. Did this. yeah, I just did that yesterday, so... Um, yeah, so he um, takes a swipe at him, and then it's just like, whoa, hey, what's going on here? Uh, this doesn't seem right, and then, for whatever reason, Denim decides to come around the corner, and then face it head-on, rather than like, you know, continue the stealth attack he was doing from the rear. So just like you were you were setting up this tactic and you literally took one move to go do that and then just jumped right back out front. It's like, why would you do that? <laughs> Doesn't seem like smart battle planning. Um, you kind of go over that there's been a misunderstanding that this is a different lawns and not the one you're looking for. And then you realize, oh, wait, this guy, the guy I'm looking for only had one eye and this guy clearly has two. So this can't be him. <laughs> 
So it seems like uh, it seems like important information that uh, Vice probably should have realized. But uh, yeah. Anyway, um, you go back down to the secret hideout. You start explaining what what is going on to Vice or to uh, to Lons and his his gang. They offer to help you for reasons you can't really understand because it seems like oh these group this group of badass knights and uh, you know a, a, a bird dude and uh, and a really cool wizard are gonna help these like plucky little rebels or whatever. And you're like, why would they do that? But anyway, um, they offer to help Vice. You kind of learn is a little bit of a smartass and a little less than uh, happy half the time. It seems like it seems like he's always kind of got some snarky remark to make. Yeah, yeah, and he uh, he's mean to Catua too. Uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, maybe more so in the first one than the PSP remake, but I think you still kind of mean to her there too yeah there's a scene in i think like a second battle or the third battle where he he says something not so great to denim about Ketua and it's just like oh that's very sweet of you dude it's like it's i thought he friends. calls her like a bitch inside right after this battle inside the house oh yeah yeah that's no yeah i think you're right and then because the, the thing i'm thinking of is uh oh still or always hiding behind her skirts yeah, mm-hmm. and I think he yeah. Says, calls her a bitch in the little house, the little powwow they have after yeah. the first battle. Yeah, that's I'm um, like, whoa, this is uh, my my games are, are doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to remember we were yeah you got to think we were coming at this a lot younger, so it's just like man, it's like oh okay wow, <laughs> and, and a lot more shocking back in '98 than it is in you know yeah. 2011 or whenever the uh, remake was. Yeah, 2011. Yeah. I mean, yeah. At that point, like you know, you're at 2011. You're you know pressing X to pay pay uh, pay respects. <laughs> so that's uh, that's storytelling in video games today. So anyway, uh, you explain that you're uh, the leader of the Wallisters, the uh, ethnic clan, ethnicity, whatever, yeah. however yeah. you want to look at it. Um, that you belong to has been taken prisoner by the the Gargastans. Yep, one of the other ethnic groups, yep. Yeah, I was just trying to remember which one it was. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> just got to get those mixed up in my head sometimes. Anyway, um, he's been taken prisoner. So you go raid the castle, and you find that there's not a whole lot of guards there. Um, Lons and company decide to aid you, and they basically take the front. And this is sort of just acts as the tutorial battles here just to teach you the basics. I think the first battle is where Canopus offers uh, or says, like, oh, no, we're, we're just looking for or we're, we just offered to help. Uh, just because and but we are looking for mercenary work are you guys hiring by chance <laughs> it's like wait 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 don't don't no 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 you are on my side please don't because <laughs> if you guys turn on me we're screwed it's kind of one of those quick moments of just like uh this this is not going to go well if if things turned out differently but thankfully uh yeah they they didn't take the bait on that and decided to just continue fighting you uh this is also another thing where you learn that um if you get a leader character, if you just go after a leader, that will end the battle. And that plays into something that had a little bit more to do in the in the PS1 version, because I don't remember. I think it's called the Chaos Frame. Didn't really come into effect too, too often, where it's like certain characters of certain um, ethnicities will leave you if you've killed too many of their brethren. It's a little, I don't know, it, it's it's one of those like weird like Matsuno like deep cut things that's in the game that you don't really deal with too often, but it's there. Um there's a certain character that we'll get to at some point that um, will leave your party if you take a certain route. But for the most part, you don't really see that where characters suddenly are like, hey, you're, you know, it's like, I, I don't appreciate what you're doing. I'm, I'm jumping ship. Bye. Well, I mean, that's in the menu system. It keeps track of exactly how many of each different um, nationality and ethnicity you've killed. Yeah. <laughs> 
so you yeah. can keep track of all those stats. Although I've noticed, I I I haven't had any real effect with that because I've noticed a, a substantial amount of uh, certain ethnicities that have been killed a lot more than the others. Whereas, uh, granted, the most thing I've killed is like the unknown one. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, I, I think the ratio is like a five to one ratio uh, compared to the the second closest one outside of the unknown. So, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, so you freak. So you free Duke Ronway. Um, he basically hires Lons and his crew to train his soldiers. You get, um, I forget, it's like 20,000 or 30,000, whatever their money is. I think it's Goth, if I'm remembering right. Man, I totally don't remember. Yeah, I think it's Goth. Goth is correct. Okay, cool. And you get a little cutscene where they, where Lons and, and, um, yeah, Wands is talking to Denim and Vice and uh, Kachua, telling them that, you know, like, be careful, you know, just, there's no, basically telling you there's no shame in retreat. Uh, surviving is the most important thing, because you can learn from a from a retreat, but you can't learn from death. Which I think is an important lesson to pass on in this game. Like, yeah, you can, if you can get out of, get the hell out of Dodge if you need to, go, because you can't come back from nothing, so. Um, and this is also where you're introduced to Ravnus, Jonathan, I don't know if you remember this scene, but uh, it, it actually does a good job of explaining like why um, Denim and company were able to take the castle so easily. You remember this part? Uh, that's why they could take it so easily. Basically, trap. Uh, basically, um, they had or they they had uh, heard what was going on and had made an assault on the castle at a different point to lure some of the troops. Uh, okay, so. Um, you find out, or it seems like Ravnus is a little bit full of herself, and Kachua kind of remarks as such, and uh, makes makes a comment that uh, is very foreboding, as just about everything is in this game. That um, uh, she thinks very highly of herself, and I would hate to be there when she falls from such heights. <laughs> if uh, if there's anything this game will teach you, uh, to pay attention to every piece of dialogue because it will almost always come back and bite you in the ass somehow. So the next fight, so basically you find this area where you have to go and it's your first real battle and you think you're by yourself for the most part, except uh, Canopus comes and joins you. And this this might be the most lighthearted part of this chapter where Vice and Canopus are trading barbs at each other and then Vice starts throwing rocks at him. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, not in the wings. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> And then he starts making, and then a vice makes makes the uh, you know, hi, or to Denim makes the uh, oh you're always hiding behind your uh, pacifist sister's skirts comment, and then Canopus turns around and says, oh, not just a brute but a bully as well, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and it definitely sets off this like tenuous relationship that they have with each other of like eh, they might not really like each other very much. No, and it, it kind of sets up. <laughs> what was that, John? So yeah, that was a little. The fight gets a little nasty. He's always kind of got a mouth on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh it's kind of a fun little. It's a fun little exchange, and it might be the last fun little exchange you have for a while in the game. So it's kind of like I'll oh, sit and enjoy this because this might be the one of the very few moments of brevity in this game that you get. And then from here you go to a town where I think it's it's is it Donalto the the cleric that you're that you're going to rescue, or is it Leonard or Leonor Leonor. Leonar. Leonard's Leonard and then like Pleasance or Pleasance or Pleasance. He joined you, right? Yeah. So this is where you come across undead characters for the first time. And uh, and also a uh, 
a necromancer. Moldova? I, am I getting that name right? Moldova, right? That's uh, another necromancer's daughter. Yeah, it's is, Nibis's daughter. Yeah. And Nibis is the, the deep dungeon guy. Yeah, that's um, that's a hell of a family trade to be practicing in. Necromancy. It's like, it's like, well, I was one, and your father was, or my father was one, and father before that, but I only have daughters, so I guess you're going to be necromancers too. <laughs> it's a tough lot, but some someone has to do it. I guess. Exactly. <laughs> and then, um, then you get some, I suppose, some name generic characters, and this is where I think these 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 name generic characters that you get end up being a little bit better than some of the other characters that you'll get further or like just recruiting off. Out of um, out of like a bar, so you always get uh, Sarah the Archer, which seems like a very simple, modern name for you know characters' names. Uh, one of the other characters you you get is uh, Voltaire the Knight, uh, Donalto. <laughs> you're named you know you're named uh, Denim. You've got Vice. You've got Cachua, Canopus, and then you get Sarah. It's like, did you guys, <laughs> did you guys run out of run out of ideas there? Sarah? Okay, cool. So, and I think from there you're given the option to go to go after the necromancer, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can go after or go somewhere else. Yeah. I think someone tries to talk you into going after him. I think, uh, yeah, I forget who, I, yeah, I forget who it is that tries to talk you into it. I always go after him just because it's an extra battle, so why the hell not use the experience points? And that battle ends up being very tough because um, Donato's likely not very strong at this point. Unless you really sit there and grind through random encounters, but um, he's the only character that you have at this moment that can do exorcism, and you are about to go up against a ton of undead characters that also have the uh, height advantage on you by a long shot. So uh, my strategy in that one was always to go send off or Canopus and just like go after go after the necromancer. Because, yeah, that's you got to get through this thing somehow, and I think it was the only way you could really manage it. So um, how did you guys find this one? Yeah, this one, uh, I think, especially in the first one, this was harder. Oh, yeah, this is Moldova. This is this Moldova, I don't think, is related to Nibis and, and, and the rest. This is like another undead necromancer. Okay. Uh, I think Nibis's daughter is a character that can join you on a certain path. I think the neutral path. Okay. And I think Nibis, so this is, you go after him, and then I think maybe Nibis might be his master, or her master. But I remember this one um, could be hard, because the skeletons will keep popping up. So if you, the first time you play it, you're like, what is going on? Why I can't kill these guys? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that being the first battle where you're just like, whoa, this game is going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think this may have been, the, like, the first time, like, I... I considered using the chariot system because I was just getting pelted from above, and you're like, "Oh, this is not going well." I should have I should have thought about this a little bit better. <laughs> and I think it's a lot more forgiving in this version than the PS1, and uh, we'll just say the original version rather than the PS1 version. Yeah, I think some of these I kind of mix them up in my head because I, I guess Donato is what he's called in this one. I still call him uh, Presence or whatever. That's from the PS1 version. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then Nib- it's Nibis is actually Nibith in this one, so I I still kind of. Harken back to the original. Yeah, we do. I, I, I think we're probably going to be bouncing around with names a little bit here and there, just because there are an ungodly amount of named characters in this game that keep popping up here and there. Mm-hmm. After that, I think is when you head back to. Yeah, you do Cadric of Fortress. That's Nibith. Oh, no, so yeah, you go to Rhyme. 
Yeah, so you go to the fortress, and then once you go to the fortress, you go back to your home base. Yeah, you kill the berserker guy. Okay. And then you go... Oh, Zappin, who keeps coming back for out the rest of the No, it's not Zappin yet. This is oh, like no? Burzen or something. Oh, that's right. That's right. Burzen. That's right. And then you go to Rhyme, and that's where you meet Sestina, one of the Foreigner sisters. And that one was kind of tough, too. Because I remember, well, maybe the PSP one's not that hard. I remember the PS1 being hard because if Sestina died, you lost. And she could get herself in an annoying situation sometimes. This is, uh, I think, the first instance of where I, again, would consider using the chariot thing just because um, this is an AI-controlled character who just seems suicidal and just bound and determined to end their lives. Josh, how frequently did you make use of the chariot system? Uh, a fair amount. I, I mean, you know, like coming into this game fresh, I mean, I remember using it a fair amount. Not not all the time, but certainly whenever I made some sort of really dumb mistake, yeah, I'd, I'd go ahead and go use it. Yeah, And it, it helped a lot with the bad AI. I think that's part of the reason why the AI just didn't bother me in this game like it did, say, in like Final Fantasy Tactics, because you could mitigate it. By using the chariot system. Oh, okay. Yeah, kind of rewind and try a different tactic, basically, versus, like, oh, I've got to restart the whole battle because you died. You dumb, yeah. dumb, <laughs> dumb character. <laughs> it's also the difference between playing it as an adult and playing it as a kid. <laughs> yeah. When I have more time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As a kid, I, I probably would have just, yeah, I, I don't think it would have been as big of an issue, but as an adult, you're like, I don't have time for this. Thank you. <laughs> This is, uh, I think this is like one of the first times too you also get into like a, a battle with water tiles. And man, oh man, water tiles can be brutal in this game because they slow you the hell down, something severe. Mm-hmm. So it makes any sort of bridge or choke point like that yeah. all more important. The Sestina battle is not as the Bur uh, Brezen one where you got to cross the river to get him up in the uh, corner. That's where you cr that river is really annoying. You can get yourself caught in the middle. This whole thing is like a series of, hey, um, just a heads up, this is going to be a tough game. Uh, if you can't survive this, good luck. <laughs> I mean, it does a fairly good job of just explaining, like, setting up, like, every everything you have to consider in this game. And like I said, I think in the, in the original version of this game, it... Like I said, the tiles and everything and, like, what kind of ground you were standing on would definitely affect those things a little bit more just because of the elemental stuff whereas this is just like hey you've got to think about what you're doing 
you can't just go charging in blindly and you have to position things a little bit better and you can't like i said it's just this is a nice like introduction to how brutal this game is going to end up being further down the road especially some of those ones with more water tiles man i i gotta tell you i hate water battles god do i hate them in this game <laughs> there's a couple of them coming up yeah so um yeah because we've got the lake lake bordeaux Yep, that one's kind of Lake Bordeaux, and then Ziad Moore, the the battle against Gamb, Gamp, or whatever. That's coming up after the Nibeth battle. Yeah. The Nibeth one is the first one that really screws you over with jumping in height. Because there's some high jumps that you, uh, one of the some of the slower characters who have a lower jump ability can't get up as high, and they can pop you from above. Yeah, and it just takes forever to climb that thing with, a, with yeah. Yep. With those slower characters, like I said, that, my, my strategy for that was uh, just Canopus and just go after that, go after uh, Nibeth. I'm gonna keep forgetting mm-hmm. that guy's name. <laughs> yeah, it's because uh, I, I remember like Vice trying to go up there and just getting like like you know having to use his little escape item constantly because he yeah. seemed to have a little bit of a suicidal tendency. Catchy would stay back well enough and he, just kind of keep healing, but uh, she could get picked off easily enough because she's she doesn't have much of a defensive stat. And those skeleton archers are nasty. The skeletons in general are nasty, but the fact that you can take them down and they pop right back up, it's like, oh god, oh god. And like I think we mentioned before, Denalto's not the strongest character at this point in the game, so and he's the only one that you might have that has exorcism right off the bat. So doing this like one at a time, very slowly and methodically, can make this battle really, really drag out if you're trying to take out everything. So I think this is a nice little if you choose to do this, a nice little like thing of like, oh, go after the leader. It will make things infinitely easier if you can. So um, getting back to these uh, these lake battles, the Lake Bordeaux, going after Gryon? Is that how you would say that? G-R-I-O-N? Man, there's going to yeah, be a lot of... a very generic enemy. Yeah, not really much to it. Um, like I said, this is the first one where there's like water tiles, I think, that you have to deal with at all. And... Man, it's, yeah, like I said, this th- that fight itself is just very forgettable. There's really nothing to it outside of just the water tiles there being something. Um, Ravnus is accompanying you through this part, which is a bit of a help, but she's not the strongest character either, considering how, uh, as we mentioned before, boastful she is. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like Lons and, you know, like, you think about it, those guys aren't very strong either, so. Yeah, you met back up with her for some reason. Yeah, I think when you go back to the castle to uh, basically yeah. go, go out on this on this mission that uh, he's sending you on um, or that the Duke is sending you on you. um, Yeah. She, she goes with you basically to maybe oversee what you're doing. Although I don't think she knows what's going on. No, I think it was only the, the knight who had the insider info on what you're heading off to do to what what's the down Balamosa. Balamosa. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Uh, you'll be forgiven for missing one of the 19 syllables in that name. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. She's accompanying you to go to the city to to get the free the slaves or free the people there. Yeah, free them and uh, yeah, uh, arm them for rebellion. Basically, that's your that's your intent. Is you're supposed to go to the city that uh, is being suppressed and occupied, and the duke gives you the basically mission of arming them so they can rebel and. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Um, the how would you say that? Ziad Moors. Ziad Moors. Yeah. Yeah, Ziad Moors. Yeah. That um, that's another one of those things. Like I I 
That is another one of those uh, fights that definitely, because it takes place in a swamp, it can drag a little bit just because of the movement restrictions. The swamp not only has water tiles, but also the swamp tiles that restrict your movements a little bit. And then it's typically raining a lot there too, which also affects your archer's accuracy. Yeah, and this is the one where you fight Gamp and two his little uh, his little pets, which is his griffins. And yeah. they're pretty nasty enemies, but if you kill one of I think if you hurt them, but don't kill them, you can recruit them later. But if you kill them, you piss them off and you can never get them. There's, so there's things like that to where if you kill this guy's little pet griffins, you may not be able to recruit him later as a special character. Or if you killed him first. So there's all these little, these little hooks and catches to recruiting and getting characters later in different dialogue and all that, which was some of the first instances of, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. Yeah, I think in this fight, or yeah, in this fight here I'm reading, um, is any of, if any of the three, um, you've got Berta, Obda, and then Ganap is the uh, human character there. Uh, the other two are the Griffins. Um, if any of them get low on health, they use a warp stone and they leave, basically, and it ends the fight. Okay. So I know that maybe it's when you fight them again, if you kill one, you don't get them. Yeah. Actually, um, if I'm remembering right, you get the younger in your... You get Obda and Berta the younger uh, maybe. in your party. Yeah. I, I Maybe it's different in the PS1 version because I, I sometimes I do get these two versions mixed up in my head. But yeah, that um, that's one of those fights that teaches you like, hey, there are certain things that you need to do to get some of these characters. Um, although it doesn't do a good job of explaining it right away. But when you get the World Tarot, you can go back and see like, oh, hey, there's a split path here that I sh- hmm, maybe there's something I can do. And usually, well, before it was like, okay, you didn't know you could do something different here unless strategy guy told you so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like I said, that's uh, that it's, I don't know, it's, it does a good job of conveying it after you've beaten the game because it will show like a little branch in the world tarot thing. But otherwise, if you're going through blind, it's just like a, like you don't know what happened at all. It, there's no way of, there's no indication whatsoever that you screwed up and you will never get this character now. Balmamusa. Yeah. Balmamusa. Okay. Balma. Well, let's go with Bal. Yeah. Let's go with Balmamusa. So. Finally, get to your lo- your your end point. Yep. And uh, this this fight is this part isn't too bad because you start off at the top of a hill, mm-hmm. and so yeah. you've got the height advantage in this. This makes this fight relatively easy. Yeah, you you pretty well. I remember pretty well cruising through this fight. I mean, it was not very hard. Yeah, the you, first half. Yeah, yeah. The yeah the, the first part of this fight, or the yeah the first half of this fight is really easy. And if you have a hard time getting through this, man, God help you, because this hell the next fight is going to be very difficult for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you end up um fighting off the the enemy there and you start talking to the people that you were there to liberate and get them to get into open rebellion and they say they don't want to rebel they're too tired they're too old they they don't want to put their families at risk 
and you kind of argue with them. Vice kind of argues with them, and then Leonard pulls you off to the side to take you outside to have a little have a little word with you, have a little chat. Turns out the Duke had prepared for this eventuality. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Thought of uh, thought of all possible contingencies with this, and Leonard tells you the Duke wants you to slaughter the village. Dress up as Galgastani soldiers and slaughter the village, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and right there, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, as a 16-year-old playing this, and I was just like, I, you want me to do what now? You, I was like, oh, okay. Surely this is, there's, there's something that's going to happen here, and this isn't going to happen. And you're given the choice of going through and going, or going through with it, or saying, no, I'm not going to do this. And my, my natural instinct, and I think most people's, God, I hope, natural instinct is, a, no, I'm not going to slaughter in innocent people. That's insane for the better, or, you know, just, just to, you know, get your recruitment numbers up. I'm not going to slaughter a whole village for that. That's ridiculous. That actually gets into where the morality, uh, yeah, the, like, morality split kind of happens, where you think, like, well, I'm doing the good thing, but that puts you in the chaos route because you're going up against law and order. But if you do what you're supposed to, that puts you in the in the lawful and loyal um, route. And you, uh, Josh, you want to say it? Because because uh, yeah, you're 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 in the lawful camp, but you're slaughtering you know innocent people. Yeah. Well, it's like Dungeons and Dragons, right? There's lawful good, but you also have lawful evil. So yeah. the chaos, the alignment here doesn't necessarily reflect good or bad. There's just a lot of gray, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or you know, obviously maybe not as much gray here, but it's not a good. So it's easy to make good and evil. The, the makes the thing that makes it even push it further. The good and evil correlation between chaos and law. Uh, it's more so the first game because the first game, certain classes are attributed to certain, um, uh, alignments. So like the, the, what was it the Dark Knight or what, what's the class called? Uh, like Terror Berserker, Terror Knight. So the Terror Knight, which you know sounds like more of an evil Dark Knight kind of class, was chaos, and the 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 Knight and the Paladin were the law. You know, you normally associate those with good. So there was kind of that correlation there that kind of insinuates good with law and evil with chaos. But it's they just had to pick one, so it's really supposed to be. You follow directions or you do your own thing. Yeah, and it's kind of weird, like, the, like, almost contradictory thing of, like, the Terror Knight being a chaos thing. And if you go the chaos route, you know, you just agree to not, or, you know, you just decided you don't want to slaughter people. But then you get, yeah, but then, like, chaos indicates that you can be a Terror Knight, which seems like, yeah, just a dark, you know, bad guy, kind of. And it's like, why? That doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. (laughs) yeah, the association's not quite as there in the PSP version, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because any basically any alignment can be any class in this game. So if I remember, any, I don't think there's any restrictions. I don't think so. I don't think alignment really means anything anymore. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's literally just the path you take in the game. So, and I think it also I think if you have neutral characters, they might tend to not. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, decide that they don't want to leave your party if you d- do certain things or take certain paths or whatever, because they're just kind of like, eh, whatever, I'm good. Mm. So, um, but yeah, either way you pick, Vice will go opposite of you. Um, if you pick the lawful route and 
slaughter the village man i got a hard time with it <laughs> still it's it's like it's like i can't believe this game is asking me to do this um and slaughter the village vice will come out and just be like what the hell is wrong with you and his character portrait changes and he looks very like noble and if you do decide to go along with it vice comes out and basically calls you a coward and um his character portrait changes into a damn near cartoon villain looking like his he gets like dark circles under his eyes and he's leaning forward kind of like almost like a like anime villain thing where it's almost like he's like leaning on his uh, knee or just like looking very like does he do that right away i'm trying to remember i don't remember if he does that right away but that's what it ends up reflecting the I character i think portrait. at some point he has a portrait that gets really bad or it looks like he's like haggard and gonna die in the second chapter three or something on the on the uh chaos route yeah i, I think, I think it, it progressively gets worse yeah i think you're right um yeah it's it's not a it's not a great fight uh because either way it's like oh okay i'm gonna fight to slaughter the village or i'm gonna fight to not slaughter the village it's like i man I, so you've got to fight your way out if you decide not to because your best friend your childhood friend is like no no we need to do this Either way, this happens. You don't have a choice in the matter. And it's it's one of the awful things of this game. But also one of the great things of this game. It, it's just, like I said, just story-wise, it's awful. Because it's like, you. it doesn't matter what you do. This is going to happen. It gives you the, the weight of choice of having to feel that of like, okay, well, if you do decide to do this, your best friend turns his back on you and runs. And you have to live with the fact that you just slaughtered an innocent village to get the rebellion the numbers it needs to survive. So it's like... It, 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 it's strictly a numbers game, but when you think about it in a sense, but it's also like just morality wise, it's, it's kind of terrible to do. Oh Not yeah. Kind like, of terrible. <laughs> I, see, this is the point of the game where I kind of fell in love with it was the fact that you had this awful choice and it kind of doesn't even matter which choice you make the off, you know, you, the, the village gets massacred either way. So it's all about your own personal morality. It was just like, it was a really interesting tack to take you don't see that very often and, and well I, I i guess i don't want to spoil what happens later on but i mean you know you you choose even if you choose not to slaughter the town like things work out like the bad guys basically say they will and you end up getting blamed as the bad you know like you get end up being blamed as kind of like the naive little kid who doesn't understand the way the world works yeah yeah and the other thing, we'll never see, I don't want to say never, but we're unlikely to ever see a game like this again. It's because <laughs> there's, it's not like you go, you make this decision, it's a small little change in the story, and you still go through the, basically the same narrative. This dramatically changes the rest of the story in the game, depending on which route you take. Yeah. There there are, there are some, a few similar, similar battles that are kind of, comes back together again and then veers apart but there's stretches of battles to where on the strategy guide you have to turn to the chapter two lawful route or the chapter two chaos route or the chapter four this route and the it's completely different for many many battles different story completely different characters that join you completely different dialogue mm -hmm. just the amount of work you'd have to do in a modern game to make that many branching storylines that the average player is only going to see one of the storylines is something I doubt we'll ever see again. You just can't do that in a modern game with the costs that right. that you have to do on, you know, like for certainly for any sort of like higher end, higher production value game, you just couldn't afford the 
the cost. Yeah, I mean, you're going to... So, say if 80% of the people choose not to kill the villagers, it's probably what I would say would, would be the case, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That means only only 20% of the people that play the game would ever even see the lawful route. Or even <laughs> then, less so the neutral route. I think that's probably the least played route of all. So... Yeah, honestly, I don't think I've gotten much in the neutral route at all, as you mentioned it. Oh, that's kind of crazy. That's the one route I did the first time playing oh, through. Oh, really? Yeah, I did neutral. Huh. I think that's probably, from what I've read, I think that's the most rare route for people to do. Okay. Huh. I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, like what characters you can recruit, maybe. Because I know personally, like I, the first time I played this game, I went through, um, I went through the chaos route, and I, you know, I, I chose not to yeah. slaughter the village because you know you don't. Yeah, the first time going through, you're like, oh, I don't know this is, I didn't know this was going to do this. But, you know, having come through this game, having played through multiple times, it's like, well, I know what happens here. I ended up going the lawful route um, this time because I know there are certain characters you can recruit that you can't recruit in the chaos route. Yeah, the lawful route, I think, has, especially in the PSP version, I think is the strongest, best cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I even I think Matsuno has said the lawful route is his favorite route. Hmm. I can understand that because it does it does kind of give Denim a bit more of a character growth. Uh, you know, he goes from, you know, he basically just following orders and being kind of a like, okay, well, you know, my my lord says I need to do this to eventually like, okay, no, you've gone too far. You know, I I don't want to spoil anything, but Denim sees some character growth in this route in the lawful route whereas in the in the chaos route he does come kind of come across as the um you know the do-gooder always the do-gooder and doesn't really change very much in that route yeah what changes here too in the i think the original game alistair aracel she's arguably one of the most powerful npcs in the game and you can only get her in the chaos route if i remember because i think if you go neutral you lose her uh, but I, you can't get her in the law route. Now you can get her in the law route in the PSP version. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I think it's considerably tougher in the PSP version than it yeah. is in or in the uh, in the lawful route than it is like in the chaos route. Um, actually, a interesting little bit of information there because uh, you know the the story splits off into um, law and chaos in the second chapter, but in the third chapter there is a neutral route along with a law and chaos route. Um, if you do, I think go the neutral route. You, Alice or Aracel will. You get a warning depending on what her loyalty is with you, mm-hmm. um, that she's gonna leave. And there is a way to build that loyalty back up. And I think that's like I think that's the chaos frame thing that we or that we had talked mm-hmm. about earlier. There's a way to save her from leaving you, but it is incredibly tough and not at all well conveyed. <laughs> you, I did have to go online and look that up. In the PS1 version, she says C, and I think she fights you. I think you're right. Yeah, I think I, I think I think she just turns on you and is like, "Nope, the hell with you." Yeah, I think she ends up being one of your like boss enemies again or something. And uh, uh, I can't. I'm trying to. Yeah, and that really sucks if you gave her all of your best uh, archer equipment. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> not only am I losing my strongest character, but there goes my strongest bow. Swell. So, but anyway, yeah, we're ju- we're jumping ahead quite a bit there, but. Yeah, the, the, the impact of this first chapter, I think, is what sold me on this game when I was a kid. Like, oh, holy hell. It's like the fact that yeah. it even gives you the choice to do that and that there's repercussions for either one, that neither one of these options turns out great for Denim. No. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you're going through, and you're like, oh, this game seems pretty interesting. I remember playing it. Oh, I'm liking this. The, the battles are fun. It's tough. It's hard. I like the dialogue and the setting. You know, all things pointing to good. You, you, you know, you're it's it's cool. And then you get to this, and you're like, okay, now you, I'm hooked now. You really got me sucked in, and this is just something completely, maybe it maybe wouldn't have the impact it does nowadays with some of the, you know, like you said, shows like Game of Thrones and and a little more in-depth storytelling in games and, and stuff in TV and movies and such. But, you know, back as a kid in the 90s and I was in high, high school, I think, and I was playing this and this was like, this was kind of shocking. You know, no, you know, Final Fantasy 3, 6, whatever, had a, you know, pretty, yeah, had some some items, you know, some depth and such and character loss and some sad things. But this was really much more... Uh, I don't want to say graphic, but much more, uh, had a lot more weight to it. And it's a new experience, a new something that I hadn't had before in video game storytelling. Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah, because like you, you and I came to this at about the same age. And as a 16-year-old, um, yeah, I mean, I, I did a fair amount of reading back then, uh, mm-hmm. you know. But, like, just in this media, this was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like this. Everything else in video games, more or less, had always been black or white. Um, I'm sure on the PC side... There's there's more stuff that's a little bit more of the gray area. Um, I think like the Ultima games kind of deal on that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if um, uh, Planescape Torment had come out at this point. I think it was like early. It was around the same time. Similar yeah, time, yeah, late nineties later. Yeah, yeah. But I mean that 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 dealt with a lot of the not the same themes, but um, a lot more of the. Well, not everything is you know black or white. You do have to make some tough decisions that aren't always going to play through. And I think in a weird sense, like there's a lot of like similarities between those two games where certain choices will basically not let you see certain parts of the story. And it's like, I guess a tactics over just for what it is and when it came out and the system it was for is an incredibly deep and enriching story that is just like, how is this in this game? I just how Matsuno like got any kind of money for this game whatsoever. Like, Hey, I want to make this game where it's about these kind of like shades of gray morality, but it looks like a cute little tactical RPG where you got to throw a bunch of rocks at each other in between. (laughs) Yeah. I remember you going through and like, Oh, Duke Ronway. Okay. He's going to be this hero liberator guy. I'm going to prop up and, and uh, win for, and he's the the good guy that's going to lead us. No, here's Leonard. He's this, uh, he's the elder badass fighter that I'm with, and you know here and here in a few battles, maybe a little while, he's gonna join my party. I'm gonna yep. get this awesome new NPC, and you have all these expectations of how all the other games went, and then all of a sudden Leonard has you go outside, and you're like, what? What's going on? This is not how anything what I expected was gonna happen. Now suddenly these guys you thought you're gonna be your champion for, and maybe your future one of your future new powerful NPCs are now your enemies. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of tossed everything on its head, or possibly your enemies, or if yeah. or if not your enemies, you start feeling very uneasy about the thing about about them like being the leaders. You're like, wait, wait, so you guys are okay with wholesale slaughter if it helps our cause? It's like, eh, <laughs> you know. And like I said, like a lot of this, uh, you know, I was seeing all the parallels to the Balkan Wars, and like you get to this point, and you're like, oh damn he's he's even gonna go there we're, we're, we're gonna just have like genocide and slaughter and false whole flag towns attack. yeah mm-hmm. fall, i'm like holy cow yeah <laughs> yeah uh, just yeah just the like i said I, I i don't understand how anyone can 
like have any interest in narrative in video games and have even a like passing interest in strategy RPGs and not be hooked by the end of the first chapter of this game because I, even as an adult playing this going through and it's just like that choice is still like in my mind of like one of the hardest choices I ever had to make in video games and still even to this day like knowing the consequences of it it's just like uh, like you know like I said I wanted the stronger character since I knew I could go back in time and change my choices, but even then, it's like, I did not feel comfortable, like, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and kill everybody. <laughs> and the and kind of the worst part is, like, you run away if you choose to do it, and you see, and you sort of see the slaughter happen, whereas if you decide to stick around and do it, you see Denim sitting on the, so- or, you know, sitting above the village in flames with a sword in his hand, knowing full well that he just killed innocent people. And you, you have to deal with the fact that the character that you chose is your representation of you in this game just slaughtered a village of innocent people. A, a village of his own people. Yeah, <laughs> who just didn't want to fight because they were just old and tired and didn't want to put their families in danger. And I think that was... I, I don't remember that getting conveyed too much in the PS1 version, but the PSP version, like, just the fact that, like, they didn't want to put themselves at risk. That was the only reason that they didn't want to... Or that was one of the reasons they didn't want to fight, is there was a lot of old people there and a lot of families who just didn't want to risk it, didn't want to put their families at risk for rebelling. Like, oh, well, if we fail, they're going to kill my wife and children. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just like that is a tough choice to make. Like I said, it's like, oh, sure, you get all these great characters in the lawful route, but it's like, you kind of have to live with the fact that you slaughtered an innocent village. And like I said, you don't you don't see Denim actually go and swipe the sword, but you see him overlooking the scene with a sword in his hand, knowing full well, like, okay, well, they're, they're doing a good job of showing what happened without actually showing it. They pulled a little bit of a punch on it. So, and that, that takes us to the end of chapter one. Um, like I said, from here, this this game splits it up into two chapters, and that's why I think this is why we want to do this with this game club was get all the the nitty gritty stuff of what this game is, who made it, and yada yada yada, the differences between the versions out in this first episode because the first chapter is relatively short. There's not a whole lot going on until the very end that leads you into this scene. That leads, I mean, I I think this scene has led into half the discussion of this part of this, or you know, this part of this podcast. <laughs> Well, it's probably the one of the most memorable things from the game. I mean, it was just you know, like when you're playing it, it, it is shocking, but it's it, it it really is the thing that sold me on the game. I, I can I can remember a few things that stuck with me more in video games than this one scene. I mean, maybe maybe you know, Celis jumping off the uh, cliff in Final Fantasy VI maybe was the closest thing I ever got to this. But even then, it was kind of like, oh, okay, she survives. It's fine. <laughs> it's like it's not that big a deal. It's like, oh, okay, she was gonna kill herself, but she landed. 100 feet from a cliff and turned out just fine all right that's cool <laughs> yeah and the thing with this one is i just did not see it coming at all too it was such a surprise yeah yeah the, yeah the way you had put it jonathan is just uh, i think it's just the, the greatest way you could put it is just these characters you think you're going to be supporting and are going to be the hero characters throughout this game all of a sudden it's like uh, they're not as great as you think they are and maybe you've got to you've got to weigh some decisions and be an adult about it and i i think it also it maybe hit us pretty well because we were you know coming at this as 16 year olds and like oh the people that you're supposed to follow and, and trust with leadership aren't always the best people that will wrap up this game club or this part of this game club um like i said we're we're, we're going to figure out exactly how to tackle this i don't know if we want to do a, like an episode for each uh, chapter after this just because of the depth of each chapter 
but we'll we'll kind of figure that out. Plus, uh, you know, we need to leave uh, Josh some time in between to uh, do do other things for his or you know for RP Gamer. Well, then the other thing we have is, are you going to do chapter each chapter and then cover all the routes, or are you going to focus on one route all the way through and go back to the others? I think maybe what we should do is, um, I, I think we have to cover each route um, per chapter. I would just to kind of show the differences, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but. Oh man, I don't know. That is something I think I think we're gonna have to hash out just because it's gonna be tough to do this. Maybe what we can do is do like a series. Like, okay, hey, if you choose the lawful route, you listen to episode three of this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're gonna yeah, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do the podcast exactly like the game. You pick this route, you go to this route, and then you go to this route, and then chapter four is is where it all convenes back together. It doesn't really matter what route you choose. It all leads to this this point. But there are things that happen in between, and even in that chapter, that um, yeah. They they can change uh, quite a bit based on what you've done. Um, everything as far as the fights go are the same, and then there's all that post game stuff too that they added too that I haven't gotten to. So I man, that's gonna take some digging on my part too. So, we'll, uh, and when they say branching storyline, this is true branching storyline. Yeah, this isn't. Oh well, this you know this isn't like in Mass Effect where it's like, oh, do you want to spare the Rachni Queen or kill the Rachni Queen, and like it comes back for a cutscene and it you know in the third game finally and does more lip service than anything. Whereas this game, like it literally splits into two different paths from here, and then there are three different paths from there. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, like I said, for a, for a game, you you always have to remember this game was on the Super Nintendo. It's just like. The fact that they had like these aspirations for a game of this generation is just astounding sometimes. So, but yeah, we'll, um, I think we'll have to hash that out, um, off the air because, man, I don't know what we're going to do exactly. Um, uh, because I do want to keep this going. I don't want to like, you know, do like months in between each one so we can cover each route, but I don't know if we want to do a series of smaller podcasts, maybe, but I think it's something we can hash out. So, We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll we'll get it. We'll get it figured out. I I, I think this is one of those games that definitely does warrant um, a book club approach because there the story to this game is something else, and seeing each path individually is something worth going back to, especially with this version of the game that you can. I don't want to say easily go back to because you do have to get through the entirety of the game to get to it, or to be able to go back, but. It makes it a lot easier than, all right, well, I guess I'm going to start a new save file from the end of chapter one and go from there. Because I don't know about you guys. Um, well, I mean, uh, Josh, you probably knew, but uh, Jonathan, when I first played this, I, I had no idea that um, the game would split the way it did. So mm-hmm. once I finished one path um, and beat the game, I was like, oh, well, I got to start a new save file now and just start from scratch. <laughs> actually, see, that's what's funny. I actually did have a save file. Mm-hmm. And... I think I used it to do neutral or try it, and then I don't think I finished it. Okay. But I, I, I did. I, I guess I'd already known to keep like a rotating two or three save files, and so after I saw that, and then that made your decision, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna keep the save file where it is. Yeah, yeah. See, I wish I, I wish I had that foresight because I, I went in this pretty blind. And I just was like, oh, shit. And then I just kind of kept going, thinking, like, no, things just might play out a little bit differently. And the battles might be a little bit different. But there can't be a whole other game, basically, behind this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know to what level I was going to do. I was like, oh, this seems like a, that seems like a pretty good spot to save it. So I can go check out later what happens if I do it the other way. Yeah. I remember that's my, that was my thinking. Yeah. 
yeah. So like I said, I think I think that kind of attributed a lot to how like you know me having put about four hundred hours into this game on the on the PlayStation One. So, but anyway, um, yeah, like I said, we'll we'll, we'll figure out the details as far as like epi- how we're gonna approach this on episodes. But uh, this this is gonna be a monumental project here <laughs> in in, <laughs> in more ways than one. It's it, it it's a monumental game, and I think it deserves a good treatment like this. So. Um, Josh, Jonathan, I appreciate you guys jumping on with me. Um, cause like I said, I, I've been wanting to do this for a long time with people who are big fans of this game, but who have also played it to any kind of degree that I have. Uh, Jonathan, your memory thankfully isn't as bad as mine. <laughs> cause I, 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 I think it's a lot of the sleep deprivation. My brain just kind of like has been forgetting things slowly, maybe quickly more than slowly. Getting old, getting yeah. old, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, but I used to be fine with no sleep, and now it turns out it's like four hours of sleep doesn't do your brain very good anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, is there anything you guys want to plug that you guys have been working on at RP Gamer? Ooh, geez. Uh, right now I'm working on uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2, trying to get that done so I can review it. <laughs> My latest thing was an interview with the uh, Stoic. Uh, uh, the artist actually Arnie Jorgensen with uh, for who created the Banner Saga series. So on, I met them several years ago uh, during I right up to the Kickstarter and kind of gave an interview because this game looked really cool to me and another strategy type game, uh, cool storytelling, death that happens, all kind of stuff that makes it kind of decisions, kind of things that happen. That maybe are on the scale of tactics over in some ways. I was just going to say, um, uh, how how convenient that you bring that up during this game. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, that just released a few weeks ago. I love that those games. Uh, the the developers are awesome guys, awesome group of guys. They're they're always very welcoming, very friendly, always willing to give time to to do some interviews, and uh, the, they give some pretty good answers. So if you're interested in that game, that interview, it's on uh, the site, uh, Banner Saga Three interview. And I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, I'll link that in the show notes for you, too, this way. this way. Uh, I think anybody that's interested in Tactics Ogre, I, I think there's enough similarity. I haven't played it. Um, that's one of those ones I want to get to. I think uh, I think if you're interested in Tactics Ogre, I think Banner Saga is something to look into for sure. Yeah, the, the combat's a little different. It's still tactical, but uh, I think it's you'd really like it. Now's no better time. You can play through the whole series now, so you don't have to wait. And the, the story elements, there's... There, okay, I'm not gonna spoil, but there's some hard decisions all throughout the game, and a really hard one at the end of the game. Okay, the end of the first game, and that kind of is a theme throughout, to where there's no good decision. You're gonna make these heart wrenching decisions for your characters, and stuff happens. So, hmm. okay, well, buckle up. I like I like Tactics Ogre, and it has a lot of that too. So this might be right up my alley, and I think <laughs> uh, the whole trilogy is on uh, the Switch now, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's yeah. coming out with a physical version soon. I, I I played them on PC though. Okay, I think uh, I think Switch would be ideal for me, just so I can you know kind of carry it around with me and not have to worry about the the kids or anybody taking up the TV. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, guys, as far as uh, your uh, Twitter goes, I can be found at Jason Ariola. Um, uh, Josh, what is your what's your Twitter handle? It's uh, at jscarp. Okay, and Jonathan. I'm uh, pretty sure it's J Mustang 1968. Oh boy, <laughs> pretty sure. I like I, I like the confidence of that. That's uh, my handle for everything. So okay. I'm like, yeah. Oh, you know what? And I, I always link that in the show notes too. So I'll just put that in our profiles when I when I list you guys off. So um so thanks guys again. I know this has been a long. Uh, we've been doing this one kind of in the background for a long time and kept having to put it off because of uh you know just scheduling just because 
we knew this was going to be a long, uh, a long conversation, and then there's just been stuff in the background for each of us going on individually, and we nearly had to postpone this one <laughs> today. Because <laughs> poor Jonathan had something happen at home that was just like, oh man, come on. <laughs> and luckily, they uh, they left at my AC was on the fritz. So. Yeah, thankfully they got that they got that straightened out, right? More or less. For now. <laughs> okay. They're gonna come back out and find the leak. Okay. It's a small leak. So. Well, that's something. That's something we'll update you with on the next podcast too. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just laughing. Okay. All right. So from Josh and Jonathan, I want to thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.